0: The Maximum Meathead Podcast. And we're back with another episode of the Maximum Meathead Podcast, where we bring you the meat and potatoes of fitness with a side of bullshit. We're your hosts, Muscle Bill and Punchy Piquet. Yeah, what's up, man? Yo, what's
1: up, buddy? I'm excited for today. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, we got a guest. We do, and he's smart. <laughs> 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 and, he, and he knows how to lift. We did a workout yeah, prior yeah, to this. And, he uh, smoked it before, yeah. Yeah, we had a good session at the gym. <laughs> I'm going to be sore tomorrow. Yeah. So we have
0: Russell in. At somefitness.com. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, I just met Joel today, so that was, that was a pleasure. And yeah, we had up a, a pretty good workout. And Bill, I've known you for, I don't know, since like 2013 or so. It's got to be, yeah, close to five, six years. But yeah, I, uh, I started lifting in around 2002. So first year of university, stopped doing all the high school stuff, didn't have any sports, decided I wanted to do something. Sure. Started weightlifting then. And uh, at the time, I was... As I said, I was in school, and then after that, I graduated with a business and an accounting degree, but uh, I always kind of kept into weightlifting and weight, into fitness. Mm-hmm. I competed in 2008 and won the uh, London Overall Championship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I started taking clients very early on, just for fun. Like That's, that's how this all started. It was sure. just having fun and uh, prepping people for free and all that sort of stuff, and then uh, later on, decided I wanted to make my career. So after getting hurt, I don't compete anymore, but I was able What'd to... What did you do to hurt yourself? I, uh, uh, you know, doing some of that ego pressing and <laughs> tore, tore the pec sure. pretty, pretty yeah. badly. And uh, it, it's one of those things that's just, it's not quite reparable. You always have that, that, that leftover injury that you can see. So just for, for anybody out there, just remember, if you tear a muscle, you can't take it back. Yeah. But, uh, but it was a good thing. A lot of people asked me afterwards if I would have wanted to take it back, but it's, it's so hard to say, right? Because gives you this, this split in the road where you decide what you're gonna do afterwards and you, know, you thought you were gonna be a, maybe a high level bodybuilder then all you can do afterwards is, is teach people and that kinda of led me to coaching. Sure, So now I, awesome. uh, I, I coach people for, well, that's my, my living now. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, here to chat with you guys about uh, any questions. That uh, that pertain to fitness and health and weightlifting, and getting jacked, and all that sort of stuff. The
1: school us so a little bit. What, what city are you based out of, or you do a lot of online stuff?
2: Yeah, so yeah, so as far as uh, the services I offer, I'm 100 percent online based, so I can deal with people and help people anywhere. I've even had clients in Barbados, in the U.S., um, you know, mostly across Canada, but but mainly in. In Ontario, uh, I'm in Hamilton right now. I was in Kitchener. I used to live in London, so got a pretty good yeah. southern Ontario. And I was even I lived in northern Ontario. That's where I grew up in Thunder Bay. Yep. And uh, I was there a couple of years uh, just recently, and now I'm back in southern Ontario again.
1: That's why you're strong. You got that northern blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know
2: what? For yeah. there was uh, there was a coach I knew from from Southern Ontario. He used to go up there, and he's like, "What the hell's in the water in Thunder sure. Bay?" Because we got some strong dudes up there. Yeah. Oh, so, I it. hear
1: you, man. Like um, I got family up in Kirkland Lake, not as far up north. Yeah, obviously, but I go to the gym there, and there's guys that half acid. They're just yeah. like they're pressing extreme numbers. Like, what the hell is going yeah. on in this place? You know, like. Like, average gym goers were benching, like, 300 or something. I was like,
2: what the hell? Oh, yeah, dude, we got guys in Thunder Bay that are yeah. squat or deadlifting 800 plus. Like, there's multiple guys in a city of 100,000 that can do that.
0: Well, some of Canada's so strongest guys are up there. Uh, you know. Yeah,
2: actually, there's, an, there's another guy. I don't know very well, Maxime. He was, he was like, number two in Canada's strongest man. And I believe he lives in Thunder Bay now. But this, the, 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 like, absolute freak. And he's, like, 25, 26 years old. Like, Nice. Unbelievable. Yeah, from going in the bush and
1: throwing a moose over your shoulder and having to drag it I out. I don't know what the hell, but he's he, he's a beast.
2: Uh, Kyle Rayner's up there. there yeah. There's a lot of guys. Uh, um, uh, ben Thompson's up there. L- lots cool. of big dudes. Cool.
1: Yeah. You're an OG in this game, man, because a
2: long time, we okay. met
1: today officially for the first time, <laughs> yeah, but then it clicked that yeah. I you were yeah. one of the beasts back in the day. I used to travel to the city to train at at one of the fight gyms in London, then uh, I had a favorite gym. It was underneath kind of – the basement side. What was the nickname for it? The dungeon or something uh,
2: like that? Well, PSAD. They used to. So apparently this gym, this gym's in London. It's uh, yeah. Adelaide and Oxford. And um, they called it Gold's Gym forever.
1: Really? Until
2: Gold's Gym actually came. The, right. the rumor was that whoever owned the gym before called it Gold's. Oh, yes. This is like pre-internet, so nobody sure. could look it up. But literally, there was no Gold's Gym. He just used the name.
1: Oh, perfect. So that,
2: that was the rumor. So right. we used to call it Gold's. When Golds actually came up in the city, we're like, okay, we can't call it Golds anymore. This is confusing. There's actually a real Golds, yep. and then most people call it PSAT or Palace Ad or something like that. But yeah, that was uh, that was the basement gym. It's a good life. Oh, it's yeah. where
1: all the beasts hung out. Yeah, yeah. Was I was m- from a small town, and I'd go to London and you know go lift some weights, and then you yeah. guys would all be there in the one corner of the gym, like, holy yeah. shit, <laughs> these people Look at those humans, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're pushing some crazy shit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's awesome to uh, rekindle. Yeah, well, there,
2: you know, I'm I'm so honored when people are like, oh yeah, I knew you from from back in the day or something or other, and you
1: were serious man actually uh, i remember I you were always was, like in oh, a trance like you're a
2: moody lifter eh i, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't moody i was always pissed off uh, <laughs> i don't think it went up and down oh yeah like the gym was serious that's it how was, i remember you man straight focus you know we would yeah. cross paths in the oh, change room you'd be like hoodie up or just like yeah. straight looking the worst thing you could do at the time was talk to me yeah because i was there to train i would chat with you before but even that was skeptical yeah. definitely after but yeah yeah it was it was no joke and i feel like you know, I, Dorian Yates was my hero growing up, and his thing, like, he trained in a basement in Birmingham, right? Yeah. That's like, I think he used to kid that you would throw a barbell or a, a plate down the stairs to scare away the rats before you walked <laughs> down there. That, that was the sort of gym, so I, I, I love that style, and I feel like now with Instagram and Facebook and social media in general, most of it's... Uh, you lose a lot of the hardcore A lot of it's simply about yeah. posting pictures and getting likes and all that sort of stuff, but no, yep. back in the day, it was serious. It was... Yep. No, that's what I did.
0: Clothes and shit weren't that big a deal. Like you go in, your oh, no. training gear it was fucked up. Yeah,
2: dude. So the, my my rule for um, yeah. for gym clothes is they had to graduate to gym clothes level. So you, <laughs> yeah. didn't, you didn't buy clothes yeah. for the oh, gym. Yeah. You when it got changed them. Yeah, they yeah. turned into gym clothes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. After you had them for a while, so I was like, I'm oh, still yeah. in that, man. yeah, So yeah. like now, nah, I mean, absolutely. You know, like I feel like Under Armour changed that. When Under Armour came out, they it's uh, like, hey, here's a brand new chip clothes, clothes you buy to take to the gym. Yeah. When I'm like, no, like once shit gets, <laughs> it gets enough, fucked up. Yeah. Now it's a gym clothes. <laughs> now I get to go
0: to the gym and be yeah. hardcore.
2: And uh yeah, that's that's the way I was I was serious about it. But I, I feel like some of that hardcorness is, is missed in uh in physique competition in general. Sure, yeah. That um that I wish would come back. I like that mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But yeah, I was that's how I was. I was serious about it.
0: So we're going to hit the speed round now. Yeah, shoot, shoot. Get it going. Yeah. So I didn't tell you all these questions ahead of time, so Good. we're just going <laughs> to roll with it here. Yeah. If you could bang one actress from any movie, who would it be and what movie?
2: Oh, I'm not. There's no, there's no way. No way! <laughs> no, girlfriends here, and uh, yeah, this is that's just not happening. All right, we'll, we'll pass that one. <laughs> that's just not happening. One guy. If you could
0: take one supplement yeah. for the rest of your life, one only. Yeah. Which one would you take, and why?
2: Uh, easily, easily, veggie greens. Okay. So I, I, I do have a, a a core supplement kind of group that that yep. I think everybody should be taking um, veggie greens, fish oil, fiber supplement, maybe, okay. maybe a multivitamin, but, uh, and a protein powder. Okay. Veggie greens is concentrated. and It doesn't have to be veggie greens. I should just say a, a green supplement. Right. And uh, a green supplement essentially is this, this large mix of fruits and vegetables and mm-hmm. they dehydrate it and they grind it up. So they give you a very concentrated amount of nutrition. There's no doubt we're undernourished. Like in, yeah. the, in the United States between um, I think it's like 95 to 99% of people get one to three cups of vegetables a day. Mm-hmm. And if we look at the uh, Canada Food Guide this year, they recently increased the the number of servings of vegetables. Uh, I can't even remember what it was before, but it's seven to eight for a female and eight to ten servings. Servings are basically cups. Yeah, right. So if you look in the U.S., 95 to 99% of people are taking one to three cups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the concentration, like those vegetables they're taking, the three most common vegetables they take are potato. Sure. Which... We can hardly count as a vegetable, um, iceberg lettuce and tomato, because when you order a burger, and burger that's yeah. right, yeah, you get the tomato. So that's where almost all your vegetable intake is coming from. But even if you look at things like um, like chips, they're they're essentially yeah. counting for vegetable intake. So even wow. that one to three cups that people are getting is. Like when you drill down into it, they're, yeah. they're crappy nutrients. Could be French so get it.
0: fries and chips. Yeah, yeah. So you could essentially be getting your vegetable intake, statistically
2: speaking, from that stuff. That's great. So, um, so I, veggie greens is what people are missing, sure, uh, or some sort of green supplement. And I don't think that should be the basis of your nutrient intake. It should be a supplement, which means we add it to our diet. Right. Something that you don't have. Rounded out. Yeah, it's something. So, but uh, if, if there's one that would that would be it, absolutely.
0: Okay, if you could have one spice seasoning or sauce for the rest oh, of your yeah. life. Oh, one? Sh-
2: I'll give you two. Okay. Um, so ketchup, ketchup goes on almost everything. Yeah. And there's a, uh, there's a spice that um, Clubhouse makes called roasted peppers and yes, garlic. garlic. Yeah, it's orange. That, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That goes with absolutely. Yeah, it goes with absolutely. eggs. It goes with pork. It goes with chicken. Yep. It goes with Beef. vegetables.
1: I've used that too. Used, yeah, <laughs> yeah, if you go to Costco, you get the, the, the massive one.
2: one. Yep. That, uh, that would stay with me forever. I've been using
1: that for years. It's great. Yeah, I've, yep.
2: I've never switched away. I bought like the Mrs. Dash. We buy the garlic one sometimes. Yeah. But that one is, that's an absolute staple. Nice. Yeah.
0: If you had to take a punch, would you take it to the nose or to the stomach? Oh, God.
2: Uh, the stomach. Stomach, yeah. Yeah, I feel like. It's not going to leave a permanent mark. It's just going to It's not going to leave a mark. <laughs> the nose, maybe, you know, you might not be able to fix it. Joel will be able to answer that better yeah, than sure. I can. I don't know. Yeah. I've only been punched a few times in my life. I don't think anybody had you That's the
1: majority. Majority say body. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. Like, the face uh, of the moneymaker. Right?
2: Uh, yeah, I feel like Houdini would disagree with that. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, I got a few, few brawls for sure. But you, you're getting hit on yeah. the sides of the face and stuff. I don't think – actually, no, I did take a shot to the nose once. Right. Um, straight to it. Uh, but I don't think I've ever been hit in the stomach. It's I, not I,
0: crooked though, so that's nice.
2: It's, uh, you know, it's, nice, yeah, it's okay. The stomach's a different beast, man. <laughs> I, I know, I know. <laughs> I hate to talk, but it's kind of like this guy. Okay, so this guy's license plate is liver shot. Yeah. <laughs> I've never taken one. It's but brutal, I think guys. Dude. Like Bass Rutten and stuff used to talk yeah, about exactly. the liver that's, shot and the kidney yeah. shot and the spleen shot.
1: Boss Rutten is my inspiration. <laughs> yeah, there man. you go.
2: And I've seen him, I've seen him like hit a guy and they go down. I, 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 apparently, there's nothing like it, but I can't even tell there's you. There's nothing like it. Yeah, there you it. go. <laughs> so you'd be better at yeah. than me
0: but i'll still i'll stick with stomach okay all right yeah. and one lift or exercise for the rest of your life
2: yeah so I, I i hate those questions in the sense that we're never presented with them but what i could what i could do is say yeah it's not a real what, life situation yeah so but more crap more practically for, for if, I, if i were to say a couple sure um yeah your so favorite so exercises yeah, would be good, like, like if i was to say do th- maybe three exercises for the rest of your life mm-hmm. like a chin-up yep i feel like for upper body it kind of hits a, a huge amount of stuff I feel like if you look at military guys, they do chin-ups and they do push-ups, right? Sure. Overall, they look good and they're 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 strong and they're athletic and all that sort of stuff. And I feel like that covers off a huge amount. So maybe chin-ups and push-ups, or you can even say chin-ups and bench. And for a lower body, like a squat or a deadlift. Sure. I feel like that those four will cover everything off. I mean, if I had to stick with one, it would probably be chin-ups. Maybe I'm just being vain and saying I want to stick with that upper body. Yes. Deadlifts, of course, would be like a close second.
0: Sure. And uh, finally, what did you have for supper last night?
2: Oh, Chinese food. Nice. Yeah, so a girlfriend picked mm, nice. up Chinese food. We had that, we had that today as well because there was leftovers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, like, in Chinese food, do you have, like, a favorite uh, item?
2: Oh, yeah, like, the junky stuff, like chicken balls, uh, spring rolls. It's the best. Yeah, we still got vegetables. And you stuff don't look like at that, the protein
0: right? or anything. You're just going for the, the treat.
2: Uh, yeah, for now. Like, honestly... I'm at the point that that uh, body composition is not the primary thing anymore but at the same time too there there does seem to be a real phenomenon of of muscle memory
0: absolutely I
2: probably like I I can tell you when I trained really really hard like I I, like Joel kind of alluded to like I, I was serious about it the amount that I have to train now to get even close to that is not as much as it took to achieve it in the first place. Oh, 100%. It's like yeah. plowing a field or something like that. Like maybe you have to do it once and you got to go and clear all your trees and, and kind of get this, this farm set up. And once you do it, okay, now we just kind of maintain it. Yep. Honestly, like maintenance amounts and even reachieving somewhat partial levels of what your maximum achievements were in terms of health and fitness yep. is not as hard as it was to like push the way through the first time. So in that sense, like it, when I train well, you know, and I still train pretty intensely, but whatever it is, like an hour a day, five days a week, my diet, I, like I, I don't put on body fat easily. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I maintain, uh, the amount of muscle mass or even attain new muscle mass quite quickly. So yeah, like if I have Chinese or, or something like that, but I mind do almost all of my meals throughout the day sure. are vegetables with possibly a carbohydrate and a large amount of protein. Okay. That's my typical, right? So we, we, like I have a, a rice cooker. I cook up a huge amount of rice, two to three cups at a time. Yep. That's, like, before it's cooked, and then it turns into nine cups afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, keep that in the fridge with all these vegetables that we usually uh, um, uh, bake or broil or something like that in the oven, and then various types of, of proteins. So maybe some chicken breast and maybe some some ground beef or whatever. Yep. And then mixing that together meal after meal. And uh, that, that's the yeah. basis of the diet, right? Sure.
0: So in speaking on uh, nutrition, then, uh, as a coach, and just – I know you got a lot of questions ahead of time about uh, sort of topics to hit and whatever. Yep. But I just want to touch on some of the common sort of, we'll say, misconceptions or, um, say, questions you get from clients and that you run into a lot. So um, one thing we were talking about is sort of energy balance. Calories yeah. in, calories out. Um, it's a calorie, a
2: calorie. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, how does that all work?
2: Yeah, so I think that it's, it's like a lot of things in nutrition, there's some truth to it. So mm-hmm. when people are saying that ultimately to lose weight the amount of calories you're burning has to be greater than the amount that's coming in. They're correct. Sure. But the part that's missing is that the calories coming in and the cascading effects of those calories is different for each macronutrient. So just for example, very simply, protein has a higher thermic effect of feeding than a carbohydrate does. So about 25% of the calories in a protein get used up in the process of metabolizing the protein. So your net amount for one gram of protein is 0.75 grams. Sure. For carbohydrates and proteins, it's between like 5 and 10%. So right off the bat, we have to say, okay, so we get a different yield. So I ate X number of calories, but the amount that's left over of a protein is less. But there's other things as well. So even when we look at, at the, when I talk about these cascading effects, it's like, okay, fine, we get a certain number of calories from a macronutrient. But what are the effects of those calories, right? So if we looked at carbohydrates, carbohydrates, especially large amounts, high GI, or the net amount hitting the bloodstream at once is gonna trigger an insulin response. Now it won't be so simplistic to say that insulin is the, the whole driver of fat storage, but it's a major part of it. Sure. So the cascading effect of having insulin, calories, is that it, in, it increases your insulin response and insulin is a, a fat storage hormone. Among other things, it's a fat storage hormone. That has a different effect than the same amount of calories coming from fat. Now, people might say, okay, well, what's, you know?" um, if we look at the amount of fat that you're having, like if you had just butter, is that exactly the same as having chicken breasts? And I I don't think they are. But but even with protein as well, when we look at, uh, there was a study I posted really recently that said that we might have a certain amount of protein that we need. Sure. And until we get that amount of protein, we create an appetite response and we will overconsume. So that if you lowered your protein intake, the body would say, "Hey, you don't have as much as you need," and so I'm going to make you overeat. Those are cascading effects. Right. So the calorie in, calorie out. Yeah. Ultimately, you're going to have to have less calories coming in that are going out. But the effects of the calories vary a lot, macronutrient to macronutrient. So diets that are higher in carbo- diets yeah that are higher say in carbohydrate are going to have different impacts like higher insulin, which means it's probably going to be harder to actually lose body fat in comparison to something that's higher in protein. Okay. So it's a long answer, but there's some truth to what's being said. But really, macronutrients ultimately end up being differently in terms of the, the full-out effects that they have within the body.
1: And that's why I don't like that if it fits your macros fat that's out there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like when they just break it down so simply that, well, if I eat a Pop-Tart, it's the same as if I eat you know, another great carbohydrate yeah. source without the ripple effect. Like you're talking about the cascading effect. Yeah. Like it's so huge that when people tell me if it fits your macros, well, that means I could eat, you know, a bunch of bullshit in the morning that equals all this and I'm good for the day. Yeah. Right. Like no.
2: Yeah. Right. So the timing <laughs> that, of nutrients matters. Right. And, and on, there's so much more to just so much more. And I don't want to mock if it fits your macros. Cause let's face it. It's easy for us to say what you're saying that uh, chicken breast and salad is exactly the same as pop tarts. I don't think most of them are saying that because at least we seem to know intuitively. And I mean, I yeah. could go over some research, but intuitively we, we know they're not the same. And again, if we're talking about cascading effects, if we're talking about missing macronutrients, or sorry, micronutrients. So yeah. obviously if you have Pop-Tarts, yeah, maybe you'll get some mineral content, but you're going to be missing almost all of your vitamin content, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's also not focusing on food quality. And so if it fits your macros, is maybe they're not saying that Pop-Tarts are the same as everything. I'm, sh- I'm showing an extreme example. <sighs> yeah, but right. I mean, sure.
1: a new gym goer that hears this in the gym, you Absolutely. know what I mean? Yeah. They're like looking for something to latch on, and then they, they give them the simple diet version. Well, yep. yeah. as long as your numbers add up, it's all good. I think, uh, just how I interpret it, because I don't, I don't like it either per se, but I think
0: they try to target, like if you're looking for weight loss, your calories are the ultimate thing that matters. So if it fits your macros works in the sense that as long as you don't eat 16 Pop-Tarts... And you have your carbs at this, say, whatever, 100 grams for the day. It's better than eating 400 grams of carbs from whatever the fuck. So if you're eating 100 grams of sugar from Pop-Tarts versus 100 grams of potato or whatever, it's very different effects, but overall... I believe it's like, it's the weight loss thing that they kind of target and people just blow it on a proportion. They're like, well, fuck, I can eat chips and this Precisely. and that. Precisely. And then I get to drink six cartons of egg whites and I'm good.
2: Yeah, and I think what you're saying is, is correct. So I think a lot of the people that are, if it fits your macros people, are simply yeah. saying, hey, let's just count some calories and make sure things don't yeah, get out Yeah, just pay control. a
0: bit of attention. Yeah. And you'll be healthier than if you weren't sort yeah. of, but...
2: So, and that's where I'll give them some credit, right? So if we yeah. simply boil it down to something where you're not following an exact diet and you're basically saying, okay, here are certain macros. Sure. Now, mind you, I'll take issue that I don't know what macros are supposed to be shooting for because yeah. whether we're looking at like a Mediterranean diet or an Atkins diet or something like that, the macros are different and there doesn't seem to be any research-based... Um, um, kind of perfect macro split. Now, mind you, there, there's actually data to show like maybe the me- Mediterranean diet works better than most others. Yeah. I would even say that low carbohydrate diets work better, uh, in meta analysis. Like in fact, the largest meta analysis done on, um, whether or not there's a difference between carbohydrates and fats seemed to suggest that significantly carbohydrates where you're better, lowering your carbohydrates was a better option than sure. it was lowering your fats. But, um, but, yeah, so, I, I, I mean, I, I would still tend to focus more so on the quality of the nutrients than if it fits your macros. Because if right. you do strictly go with if, you fit, if it fits your macros, it does mean that carbohydrates from Pop-Tarts are the same as from quinoa. Right. Ultimately. Yep. And I think that we should focus much less on maybe the macros that you're shooting for and the quality of the food that you're actually getting. Oh, the sure. sources so. for sure. Yeah, right? An-
1: another hot one these days is that keto dieting, right? Yep. Like that I've been hearing about that like crazy. Yeah. And... And myself, I've I've went uh, into a keto dieting, but I've only been able to do it very short term. I'm in a sport where it requires way too much energy. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you got lots to say about the keto dieting.
2: Yeah, for sure. So for for anybody that's doing endurance stuff, there's no doubt keto's just it's not it's not a good option. Right, Right? you need carbohydrates to be able to produce energy. Yeah, yeah. So right, if you're if you're MMA, if you're boxing, if you're uh, any, anything to do with endurance, keto's not going to work. Yeah. But, uh, but even still keto's kind of one of these things too. Like, like if it fits your macros where technically on a keto diet, you can drink bacon fat, but you have to be scared of carrots. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's literally like, a, like, like, dude, you know, you, know, you can't have yeah. carrot. You can have all the greens you want, but carrots are a no go. Oh, but the bacon grease, yeah. you're good with that. And tomato. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Like, um, so the yeah. higher, so somebody went through and they looked through like, oh, Per, per gram, this is a lot of carbohydrate contributions, so these are the ones you're not allowed. Right. That, that again, it's, it's, it's basically saying, like, this is something I tell every client. I, I swear I'm going to have this printed on a T-shirt soon that says, nobody got fat eating too many vegetables. Right. Like, I'm not concerned about you eating carrots. Um, so I think with keto dieting, it's, it, it, it's again, it's, it's, it's this, this wrong emphasis. So what they have right, I think lower-carbohydrate diets are more effective than higher-carbohydrate yeah. diets for fat loss, not for, for, for uh, performance. But it goes to this really extreme stance that says, okay, you have to have less than 50 grams, and I've even seen some advocates say you have to have less than 20 grams of carbohydrate, which yeah. basically means now you can't have any micronutrient intake.
0: Anything, yeah.
2: I think what's a better strategy is having a lower carbohydrate diet, if anything, maybe a targeted carbohydrate diet that says that, hey, we have carbohydrates at a time when we're most glucose tolerant, Sure. which according to the research is very clearly post-workout. Right. Post-workout, you can handle carbohydrates incredibly efficiently. Yeah. So even type 2 diabetics who are defined as having a chronically elevated insulin profile. So their insulin, they have a little bit of carbohydrate and boom, insulin yeah. goes high. When they do intense workouts, their insulin profile is normal. Yeah, They literally can eat pro, like a certain amount of carbohydrate and they just get a normal insulin response. Their insulin sensitivity is normal. It basically says, hey, I eat a certain amount of carbohydrate, I get a certain amount of insulin, great. And then the insulin lowers the, the blood sugar levels and everything's yep. normal. Is
1: this all due to glycogen restoring or what?
2: It's not glycogen restoring. It. it essentially has to do with insulin sensitivity. Okay. So insulin okay. sensitivity says that when your blood sugar goes up a certain amount, a sensitive insulin response says that your insulin goes up just enough to offset it. Boom. But if your insulin is sensitive, it means your, your blood sugar goes up a little bit and then your insulin goes way up here. So you're producing massive amounts of insulin. Because your
0: body's not recognizing the insulin that's being in the bloodstream.
2: Well, yeah, or, or it's not efficient at lowering blood glucose levels sure. because of whatever number of reasons like maybe it can't shuttle the carbohydrate into actual protein cells or into muscle cells so it doesn't convert into glycogen so it keeps producing more and more right but um yeah what the f- what are we even talking about there? <laughs> the- uh keto yeah with keto so so um <laughs> so anyway i think i think what the what the solution is is that having a lower carbohydrate diet yeah is going to be useful is going to be useful but um but we don't have to go to the extreme where you're actually on this sort of keto diet and when you're less than 20 grams of carbohydrates or anything yeah, like that.
0: Sure. No, yeah, sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, you talked about the thermic effect of food with protein and that. Does that affect on leptin and things like that? Like leptin, ghrelin, and the hunger response and things? Uh, do, do the macro breakdowns um, affect the release of those hormones as well?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. So, so for anybody that doesn't know, leptin is um, it's a protein created by fat cells. Sure. And it basically lets the brain sort of know how much fat you have and whether or not you should create an appetite response. So maybe a, a situation that's familiar to most people is they go on a diet, they lose a whole bunch of body fat, and the leptin that's produced by the, by the, uh, by the body fat is no longer in the bloodstream. Okay, so your brain's kind of reading these, these blood levels of leptin and saying, hey, like, where'd all that leptin go? Your body fat levels must be way too low. Right. And because they're too low, we're going to create an appetite response. Um, And this is why you get hungry when you diet. And then part of the question, kind of where you were going, is are are there macronutrients maybe that contribute to leptin? The thought is that when you're coming off of a a diet, maybe reintroducing carbohydrates is an important part of renormalizing leptin production. And leptin production is really important because it's going to get rid of that hunger signal. So everybody knows they diet, they lose a whole bunch of body fat. Mm -hmm they get really hungry because leptin levels are, are decreased. Yep. And then they, you know, they're trying to reverse off this diet, but they're super, super hungry. So yeah, basically something like carbohydrates might help. Lean Norton talked about this, um, increasing carbohydrates post kind of diet in this reversal process might help to increase leptin levels. And once leptin normalizes, then your, 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 appetite response will go down okay and then you shouldn't be so hungry afterwards so this is kind so of simple
1: of- or complex carbohydrates
2: I, I I, generally speaking, I would, if I was going with simple carbohydrates for anything, it would be kind of things that you consume during your workout or post-workout. So, I mean, I don't know that the, that the research or even what he was talking about specifically was looking at the difference between the two, but usually some sort of complex carbohydrate is where I would be going with that. Especially when you're coming off a diet, I think one of the things you don't want to do is start adding in huge amounts of complex carbohydrates, sorry, um, simple Simple, carbohydrates. yeah. Yeah, You would want to start with the complex, you would want to go with things that aren't, um, aren't going to stimulate an appetite response. Yep. So a lot of people know that they, they do some sort of diet, they lose a whole bunch of body fat, and then they become really sensitive to carbohydrates and things yeah. that, are, that are sweet. And all of a sudden, they'll have something that is sweet, and it'll set off this cascade of neurotransmitter production that, that starts this like unbelievable wave of hunger. Yeah. Mm. And I think that simple carbohydrates are something that contribute to that a lot more than complex ones do. And I think there's probably an evolutionary answer for that. So if we had come across, say, fruit or something like that in nature. Yeah, like
0: berries or whatever? Yeah. So
2: they're only ripe for a certain period of time, and they tend to be ripe near the end of summer, where fall and winter are to follow. So the evolutionary argument is that if we came across something sweet, we'd want to gorge to build up our body fat. So that when we go into winter, we've got some extra body fat levels. So things like sugar are generally pretty rare in nature. We really only find them in fruits. We don't find them in in uh, virtually anything else. And when we look at vegetables, they tend to be pretty low sugar as well. And even if they have sugar, they have a lot of fiber and other things that offset the sweetness. Yep. So sweetness seems to have some sort of effect on how hungry we get.
1: Oh, for sure. If, I, if I'm eating a lot of junk, a lot of yeah. simple sugars, yeah. I'm craving that like yeah. crazy. Yeah. All the time. And yeah. I would say yeah.
2: couple that with a, a bunch of fat loss and this decreased level of leptin yeah. and you've got to maximize disaster. it, right? Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> what's the first thing most people do when they come off of a diet, say contest prep diet, oh, is they'll, they'll start go. having like oats and say, okay, I'm going to start adding some brown sugar to that. Once that process of, of it's basically dopamine response. That's sure. what basically makes yeah. food taste good. When that starts it's very hard to reverse. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to adding back carbohydrates to increase leptin levels after a diet, uh, I would be staying away from anything that's that's sweet. I think that, that causes problems. I
1: should definitely take that advice because I know after I'm done dieting, it's right to dessert <laughs> Wherever I'm at, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. Ice cream city, bring, yeah. me, bring me everything. Bring me the Sundays. bring me the chocolate. And uh, I know it's not good for me because... I never crave that shit. You know, once I get into like a week of dieting, let's say, where, where it's been a while since I've had any, any just fabricated sugar, you know what I mean? Yep. The, the sugar that everyone, I think, should be staying away from, for like refined sugars. Yeah. Once I get a taste of it again, I'm addicted. I'm hooked right on. Man. Yeah, exactly. Well, like I think we said before too,
0: it's like that 99 percent's a hard thing and 100% in is easy. Like once you're locked in for a shorter, even a short amount of time, it's a lot easier to stay consistent because you stop the cravings go away over time.
2: Yeah. So I think think with that hundred percent thing, when you're doing a contest prep diet or a really extreme diet, most people are extreme in it. They're, they're strict with it. They don't allow any sort of cheats and whatever. And even though their calories are low and things are super strict, it's because they're strict that they're able to stick to it. And it might sound kind of like obvious, but what I mean is when you start coming off a diet and reintroducing foods, you, you would think at least, you're like, oh, I'm eating more food, this should be easier. Right. But it, it, it ends up being harder, especially if you reintroduce like, the simple carbohydrates because they start to trigger some sort of appetite response. But even on top of that, like if you're dieting for a fight or you're dieting for a show, you, you have this thing in front of you that's like, dude, I don't want to get my ass kicked or I don't want to stand in front of all my friends and family in you know, basically underwear or a bikini or something like that and be embarrassed. Right. And that 100% sort of effort going forward keeps you very disciplined and once that falls away and you don't have that target to look forward to and then you start adding in the sugary foods because hey you earned it that's why people unravel really quickly in these sort of reverse diet processes and we we've all seen it we all know people that have you know gained you know 30 pounds in a month or 10 to 15 pounds in a week like how the hell is that possible one thing interesting um kind of physiologically, is that we have all of these processes in the body that are conducive to fat gain, Sure. but virtually none for fat loss. And it's kind of obvious maybe why. Fat gain and, and having some sort of body fat survivalistically makes sense, mm-hmm. but there's almost no reason you would want to be lean. Yeah. Like at least survivalistically speaking, right? Sure. It's a modern envi- environment, it's different, but there's all kinds of mechanisms to make you regain body fat yep, uh, or to you know, make it hard to lose it in the first place. And there's almost nothing kind of going the other way. So we gotta be, we got to be careful when we're doing these reversal diet processes that we're not triggering some of these evolutionary traits that we have that are going to make us want to regain all the body fat quickly.
1: Yep. You, see, you see that a lot when uh, people, let's say, uh, they get ready for a show Af- post-show, they'll get in worse condition than they were pre-show. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? Like oh, that yeah. bounce back is huge. I see some people fall apart like crazy. And like you said, it depends on your actions. That unraveling yeah. could happen real quick and then it's hard to, it's hard to get out of, right? You I, get I, into that rut.
2: You're, you're 100% right. So virtually anybody I've ever worked with, maybe I've seen one person pull out pull out of the tailspin. Yeah. Because once it starts, it doesn't stop. So what ends up happening is, we kind of take for granted when, when we eat, just normally speaking. We get a dopamine response. Yep. Makes, the food, makes the food taste good. It makes it all feel good. And then we get a reuptake of the dopamine. Okay? So it goes into the blood-brain barrier, and then it gets removed. Okay? People that are going through these sort of extreme dieting processes, there's no reuptake of the dopamine. And there's, in fact, further production of it. So think about what's happening there. you got your brain, and you got dopamine going in, and it would usually come out. In this case the dopamine goes in and it goes in more Just and chills, it goes in yeah. more and it goes in more and there's no reuptake. This is why like anybody that's ever done a show, they can they can they can understand what I say when you could eat like two boxes of cereal in a sitting and then throw up and you're still hungry. Right. So the brain is, it's very much drug-like. I mean, oh, when we look sure. at these drug sure. models, yeah, this sort of production of either serotonin or dopamine or endorphins or whatever it is, and there's no sort of this, it's called a negative feedback loop. So yeah. essentially you have something happening, you have some sort of negative reaction, so you have a, a release of dopamine and then you have a reuptake. There's no negative feedback loop for people that are coming off extreme diets. You have dopamine and dopamine and dopamine. It keeps tasting good. And Like I said, you can eat to the point when your stomach wants to explode, but you're still hungry yeah. because there's no negative feedback loop. So people just have to be really wary of this and they've got to, they've got to know how to do some sort of reversal diet and what that plan is. And I think that most people mess it up because usually what happens for their first step is adding back in some sort of simple carbohydrate. That's sure. what they've and been missing. Uh,
0: I, I hold off or whatever. And I, I keep that for myself for my show prep. And then I'm going to go in because that's my reward instead of my reward is going to fuck me up for six months or 12 months. Yep. And my psyche is going to be gone. Right. Yep just destroy your life. Yeah. It becomes very irreversible afterwards and
2: think of it like a drug or something like that. And it sounds extreme, but physiologically and neurologically speaking, it's exactly the same in terms of the responses you're getting neurotransmitter wise.
1: 100% it's a drug. I could take it further than nutrition wise and, and your body. Like uh, one, once I let loose, like I'm naturally haywire. I crave, (laughs) I crave thrill seeking, doing bad shit. You know, like I just, that's wired into me naturally. So once I get into that loop, it keeps it keeps feeding, and I keep I'm getting I'm getting this these rushes these rushes, but the craving never stops. You know what I mean? You don't have a
2: negative feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. So what you you. just
1: explained makes perfect sense because unless I snap out of it, and that's why I need uh, I've had martial arts in my life and and other things that I do right uh, like emergency services that that breaks that. Otherwise, my brain will say keep getting haywire. You know go drink, go do drugs, go chase girls, go do this, go do that, go lift heavy, go eat that ice cream. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's never ending.
2: Well, and, and remember, everything that happens, you know, in terms of reality is some sort of nature, is some sort of manifestation of of the brain itself, right? Sure. So, like, everything is happening in the brain. So, all these things, there are these parallelisms between the things you're talking about and the things I'm talking about because it really has to do with neurotransmitters and the structure of the brain itself. So the 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 like when I'm talking with diet and I say something like addiction to some people that sounds extreme, but you're in fact saying like no, this is the same sort of yeah. driving force that, that wants you the to do something same, and and, and, the and it is same. and it is like I said neurologically as well, sure um when we're talking about the same sort of brain signaling that's happening, it's happening just from different things, but it's the same like compelling action to do something yeah
1: the the principles of it all are the same, the same right yeah, yeah exactly yeah.
0: no I wonder. Is there anything supporting? So say, all right, you're in one of these tailspin things, right? Would something like intermittent fasting potentially be beneficial to say, all right, you know what? I can't control the food when I do eat, so I'm going to take 48 hours and fast, and then I'm going to do, we'll say, a six-hour eating window for the next seven days or whatever to like reset and, and try to reset like i'm going to stop all the chemicals with just drinking water for two days yeah. and then like is, is intermittent fasting a way that potentially could help that or is it kind of one of those things like you know or think i don't know about cbd and things but even fasting versus well i'm eating five meals a day and i just can't control it and i'm just going to cut it all out sure and try to try to reset
2: yeah, maybe in the specific context it would be useful, but my, my deal with intermittent fasting is that it makes food out to be the bad guy. Sure, right. Like, the bottom line is if we just ate less food or if we didn't eat it so consistently, we'd be better off. I mean, I think it's only true if you're eating shitty foods. Sure. I think that if you're eating good foods, the more of that you get, the better. So something I'll take from uh, from John Berardi, um, who owns Precision Nutrition, and um, he's uh, I think he's an assistant professor at University of Texas at Austin. He's like the... Maple Leafs a nutritionist, or at least he was, he was like U.S. bobsled team, Canadian speed skating team, sure, um, all this sort of stuff. But he said that every time you eat is an opportunity to make yourself better or worse. Yeah. So his thought was, if you're giving yourself the nutrients you need, then every time you eat, the net effect is a positive. Intermittent fasting takes that away. And and I'm not even saying research-wise there's not any benefits, but we have to contextualize the benefits that it's saying. So if your break from crappy food is a fast, are you going to be better off? Yeah. Sure. But, and and, I mean, you might even be able to make an evolutionary argument that that we fasted. I think we did. But you can make an evolutionary argument that we were just undernourished in general. Sure. And it doesn't mean we should return to that when we're looking at optimal health or when we're looking at optimal performance. So a lot of people talk about uh, ancestral diets for performance. I'm like, well, those guys weren't professional fighters and they weren't downhill skiers and they weren't, they weren't professional bodybuilders. And we literally have a, a subsection of nutrition called sports nutrition for a reason because it's different than regular nutrition. So I think we, we, we've got to be looking at what we're actually talking about. So are we talking like can intermittent fasting have any sort of benefits at all? Can it maybe help with blood glucose levels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so does a lot of vegetable intake. Sure. So I think intermittent fasting is sort of missing the boat. It's faddish, so it's new. It's you know, I mean, if you're struggling to stick with a good diet, how are you going to stick to a diet with no food at all? Right. At least for certain periods of time. And I mean, the cadence for for how we do intermittent fasting is all over the place, right? Do we take yeah. um, Saturday Sunday off? Do we you know take eight hours a day off eating, sixteen hours a day? Do we only yeah. You know, eat when the sun goes down. Yeah, what, the research what it, is all over yeah. the place. Training yeah, days, so th- rest days. I think we're finding some benefits, but I think we have to contextualize why we're finding those benefits. Are we taking people that are eating crappy foods and they're having a break and the, the benefits coming from the lack of poisoning themselves? Right. So, <laughs> yeah, sure. are we finding the same thing in people that are eating 10 to 12 cups of vegetables a day and mm-hmm. not eating any processed foods and, and all that sort of stuff? So, intermittent fasting to me, it's, it's, a, it's a craze, but I'm not seeing the benefits because most people have problems sticking just with a diet healthy. Um, that, that's a healthy diet, high in nutrition. So why is a diet of nothing easier? Is that long term? Are you getting right. setting, are you getting anything over and above massive amounts of micronutrition? That's where I'm getting lost on it. So it's not something I recommend for anybody. Um, even though I'm not denying there's, there's benefits in terms of what the research showed. I think we just have to say why those benefits exist right. and decide whether or not that's relevant to our situation. But I would almost always side with eating more nutrition rather than avoiding nutrition because that was the problem
0: right now what about things like a protein is there an optimal amount of protein for everybody is it very dependent on your goals or you know i believe protein is a more satiating macronutrient than anything else per se is that correct
2: i i I don't know about that i don't know about the satiation um of it and and the reason i say that is that protein is quite fast digesting Okay. Generally speaking. Now, something like red meat actually tends to be very slow digesting, but I think it's because of the high fat content. Right.
0: That makes sense. So
2: things that are high in fat and high in fiber tend to digest slower. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably related to how filling they are. So I don't know if protein's true in that sense. But in terms of the amount of protein we have, I think everybody's heard the you know, 30 grams of protein per meal. Yeah. And this literally came from like, I think somebody in like the 1940s had said it. The reality is we digest almost all of the food we eat, barring any sort of like digestional issues or something like that, IBD or, right. um, or IBS, I should say, not IBD. Um, basically, we, we, everything that goes in gets, gets broken down and gets absorbed you know, in the GI, GI tract. So there's no real limitation in the amount of protein. I think the question they're asking is how much protein can I take and convert into muscle mass? And I think it's a bad question. Because we don't do this with any other macronutrient. We don't say like, okay, well, how much carbohydrate do I need to run my daily chores? Which for most people is probably maybe 100 grams to run their brain and to walk sure. around. Maybe it's 150 grams if you do some exercise or 200 grams. But nobody frames the question that way. And we don't do this for fat either. We don't say, well, how much fat do I need for optimal testosterone production, estrogen production, progesterone production, and yeah. And then after that we're good. But we do it with protein. We, we put the ceiling on there, like, oh, after 30 grams, it's useless. I mean, number one, that's not true. If you're looking at the amount you actually directly uh, synthesize into new protein um, muscle cells, yeah, the amount's small. It's probably even less than 30 grams. But if the amount is like, how much do we utilize? Well, there's other satellite functions of protein. Um, even on top of that, too, we can still use protein for energy, right? We can, gluco- we can, um, we can convert it into to blood glucose or something like that. Um, but we limit it as this, well, once you get there, we're good. Yeah. My, my strategy would more or less be, I do that with carbohydrate, right? So there's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. Right. There's essential fatty acids, there's essential proteins, there's conditionally essential proteins, there's non-essential proteins as well, but there's no essential carbohydrate. You can go your entire life and never have a carbohydrate. Your body can just create it from the proteins, right? Gluconeogenesis, right. the creation of new proteins, sorry, the creation of new carbohydrates from proteins. Um, so I, I, I could give you the benefits of proteins over and above any other macronutrient. It seems to be the one least likely that we should be gauging. Even when we talk about thermic effect of feeding, you right. can eat more protein yeah. and net less cows. That's a, that's a big advantage. Yeah, For sure. So why do we do this with protein? I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why the calories have to come from somewhere. Yeah. Now, if you're an MMA fighter like you or somebody that does a lot of training, a lot of endurance, a lot of those calories are going to come from carbohydrate. That makes sense. And so in that sense, I would still maybe have a carbohydrate gauge. I would say, okay, well, we need a certain amount. Maybe we need 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour of exercise. Maybe you're exercising two hours a day. Maybe on top of that, you burn another 100, 150 grams just doing regular stuff. Your brain needs it. Um, you just need it for, for everyday functioning. So maybe your, your amount's going to be four or 500 grams a day. Okay, cool. Then I might say, okay, that's my ceiling for that. And then I say, okay, I need a certain number of calories per day. And then from there, I would fill in the proteins and the... Um, the and fat. the and the fats yep. and I, would, I the carbohydrates the thing I figure out first how high or high low how high or high how low do I want to go with that yeah the other stuff floats right I don't know why it ever got to well that's the amount of protein because again we don't we don't do that with any other macronutrient so um, the amount that we need I don't know because I don't know how much it is for any of the other macronutrients as well right I just know that the carbohydrates seem to be the least essential and if they are essential for, they're for things like endurance training and then you fix your level in there and then let the other kind of things float now mind you when i'm talking carbohydrates i'm also not talking a lot about vegetables so to me vegetables are technically a carbohydrate but they're low in terms of the amount of carbs they're contributing and they're high in the amount of micronutrients so my usual rule for everybody is um, vegetable intakes unlimited whether they're on a weight gain diet or a weight loss diet or a muscle building diet i've said that so
1: many times man You've done what? I've said that so many times. Yeah. Eat as many vegetables as many you vegetables want. Stuff your you face. Can. Absolutely,
2: yeah. right? So I, I feel so vindicated because like I was saying, the, um, the Canada Food Guide now recommends uh, eight to 10 cups of vegetables for a male, seven to eight for a female. Back in the day, it was like three to five. I, I think that was the number. Sure. Now it's almost twice as much. Now I recommend all of my clients have around 10 cups. Cause my thought was always that a, hey, if a regular person is going to have five, yeah. are you a regular person or are you someone that's trying to better yourself? You right. should have to double that. Now I might even have to put them to 15 or 20 cause now yeah. apparently it's at 10, but I think that's actually, That's a huge improvement. Canada Food Guide's done a lot of great things recently. They started saying things like, we don't need to watch our cholesterol levels in terms of consumption. Sure. Because there's very little relationship between the amount of cholesterol you intake and your blood cholesterol levels. For sure, yeah. Kind of like fat. Like eating fat doesn't make you fat. Eating cholesterol doesn't give you high cholesterol levels. Right. So Canada Food Guide's actually come quite a ways in – And kind of revising its stances, lowering its carbohydrate intake, increasing its micronutrient intake. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it actually took out the amount of sugar before it would say like ten percent or fifteen percent of your calories could come from sugar. Did it? Did it take out dairy? I don't remember if it did. I don't think think somebody told me something about I think
0: they changed it to they included dairy in the uh, one of the other food groups.
2: Okay. Like, yeah, it, so it's, it's like eliminated
1: meat, as its own. Yeah, it's yeah. not in its own I I with like, the meat and protein or something. I feel
2: like they did too. I really, you know, I, I have yeah. to look into exactly what it was. I I read over the article relatively recently, but I can't remember what they, what they did with dairy, but they're they're literally going the way with a whole bunch of research now instead of in the face of it. So I feel like Canada sure. Food Guide and other food guys are doing a major disservice by recommending eight to ten servings of carbohydrates a day and three to five servings of vegetables a day. Like it, it, it had to be at least flipped. Yeah, right. I mean, tell me yeah. that it's 10 servings of vegetables and five servings of carbohydrate. Maybe I'll be a little bit more on board. Yeah. But mind you, this was also for a sedentary person. Right. Like I was saying before, I think that your carbohydrate intake should be based on your activity levels. And I think that vegetables is a separate part of carbohydrate intake. So I, I split the two apart. But um, I
1: just threw an ad out there with Blue Star for our green product. And uh, on the ad, it says, if you're not eating at least eight servings a day, yeah. you're not getting enough. Absolutely. And I had so many people messaging me, going, "Who eats eight servings, eight servings of vegetables?" <laughs> oh God! <laughs> and yeah. I said, "Exactly, yeah, exactly." You know that's what the I mean? Point, yeah. And I don't even. That's why I take a green. Like I'm, that's I'm pumped should. that you said your supplement would be, would be a green supplement because I've been hyping up green shit forever. The the micronutrient profile of that is unbelievable. Like it's so hard to get, man. Like people don't. If you just do a regular day of yeah. eating, like everyone eats, like a regular day, yep. if you're not looking for for proper fuel, whatever, you are not getting those nutrients, man.
2: No. no way. um, Like I said, I'll recommend for most clients to have around 10 cups of vegetables a day, but most of the green supplement, at least the one I specifically recommend, says it's the equivalent of six salads worth on top of that. So now they're getting 16 cups a day. Yeah. And I think that more micronutrient nutrition always serves one better. Um, I've never – I mean – if you got really extreme, you could overdose on, on certain um, micronutrients, especially sure. fat-soluble ones. But you, you'd have to be crazy yeah. amounts. Yeah. Right? I, I don't think you could do it through food. You could yeah. certainly If you're, do you're double
1: through- scooping your veggie greens, you ain't yeah. going to pass out or die. No, I don't
2: think so. I'll usually tell people uh, more <laughs> yeah. is better. But uh, yeah, that, that's that's certainly something I would go with. And I think that uh, that high micronutrient intake is, is kind of your key.
0: So if you're sitting at home, say, like with a uh, small family or you have a you know, mom and dad or whatever, and you're structuring a meal just for your everyday person, yeah. you would say, all right, well – a lot of people talk about the plate servings and like a fifth of this and whatever. Yep. So if you're like, okay, we're going to plan supper tonight uh, or today and tomorrow, whatever, do you have a simple way that you structure a plate? Like, all right, if you've had a, you'll say, quote unquote, normal day and you didn't go to the gym and lift for a fucking sure. hour and a half. Is there a thought process you could give to people to say, all right, you maybe go with around this so much, say half the vegetables or half the plate of vegetables and the rest are halves or yep. something simple or is like yeah, a, a general... You know, it's hard to do generalizations, I know, but. I don't don't want to give away my secrets here. Sure. It's so (laughs) simple. It's so
2: simple that people wouldn't believe you.
0: Absolutely. And I remember
2: learning this stuff kind of for this first time, like, that's it? Yeah. Here's what I would do for virtually everyone, is that you would have vegetables and proteins with every meal. Yeah. And your carbohydrate meal whether it's from starches or, you know, if you're having quinoa or potatoes or rice or whatever, would be post-workout. Right. That would be it. That would literally be it. So if you didn't work out that day, you wouldn't get your carbohydrates that day. And what about fats? So your protein sources are going to vary. So, like, for example, just give you kind of a sample, I would say, okay, maybe in the morning you get up and you have, like, two or three whole eggs. Yep. Um, depending if you're male or female, it's yeah. going to vary, but let's just say two or three whole eggs and then maybe like a half a cup of egg whites. And then in there, you're going to throw a whole bunch of vegetables in. So like my go-to for, for that sort of stuff is like spinach, mushroom, red onion, red pepper. Done. I stir, fry that. I throw it on top. Yeah, an omelet. Yeah, omelet, yep. right? Maybe throw a little cheese on like that, yeah, depending yeah. where my calories are going to be. Yeah, right. So that ends up giving me fats in there and proteins. And I have a huge Absolutely. amount of nutrition. Yeah, right? the egg yolk, sure. Yeah, Sure. And yep. maybe the next meal will be like a, a, like a chicken salad or something like that. So I'll, I'll have chicken and then I'll put a salad and that salad will be massive. Yeah. Like it'll be spinach. It'll be lettuce. It'll be like shredded carrot. It'll be olives. It'll be tomatoes, all of this stuff. Yep. Throw a little cheese on top of that. Okay, so where are my fats and proteins coming from? Most of my protein sources have fats in it. So if it's yep. the cheese, if it's the eggs, if it's ground beef, if you really want to go with good stuff, then, you know, you can, your budget affords it. You can get salmon. You can get organic. You can, yeah. I think organic is good. Um, Canada has some pretty strict um, standards for organic. It tends to be better. But yeah. is it 100% better in the sense that it's 100% more cost? I don't know. But if you can afford it, go with organic that's how you structure your diet and then yeah. your post-workout is going to be carbohydrate now maybe you need more carbohydrate okay so i got to add in a little more i could boost up the post workout amount of carbohydrate sure. or i can start adding carbohydrate in during my training yep okay fine maybe that's too much or maybe that's not enough let's add in some more because okay, now i will add it in pre-workout yep okay so you're going to base the carbohydrate and you're going to kind of have this like levels like post workouts absolutely best if i had it in the second place i'm going to add it in during workout Okay, And I'm having so much during workout and post workout that it's bothering my stomach, or I just can't take more. Okay, let's add in some pre workout. Yeah. Okay, and then if you need more after that, well, then maybe you start splitting it out throughout the day. Very few people need that amount, especially if you're going for fat loss. Right. But that's it. So, what do you have for your meal? Well, firstly, did I work out that day? Yes or no? If I didn't work out, it's probably going to be protein and vegetables. If I worked out, okay, fine. Did I just work out? And if not, it's still going to be protein and vegetables. Yeah. Like it's really, really simple. Now, what do you end up with, right? You end up a diet (laughs) with a massive, so how does it look on your plate? I mean, honestly, like, you know, 30 to 60 grams of protein per meal should probably be about your target. Yeah. And, uh, it just depends. Like if you're a really high end athlete, you're going to be on the higher end. If you're having three meals, four meals, five meals, six meals per day, it's going to matter. So if you're having more meals, it's going to be less protein, all that sort of stuff. It's really simple. Um, that's so it.
1: it's almost like the rest are staples, the carbohydrates, the fuel, if you needed it. That's exactly. Like, if you deserve it, on, whatever, right? The rest is all maintenance that's going to keep you yeah. healthy, keep you living, keep your hormone levels up, you know, the fats and whatever. Yeah. The carbohydrates only if you deserve it.
2: Yeah, your carbohydrates you earn, and they're based on your activity levels. Yeah. And again, I'm... I'm, I'm just to be clear, yeah. I'm not including your vegetables as part of your carbohydrates. Because someone could say, if I'm saying no carbohydrate, that means no vegetables. No, I'm saying vegetables. So here's your vegetables and protein every meal, and yep. carbohydrates some meals based on activity levels. That's it.
1: Now, I just want to touch back on protein before we get too far Shoot. too far away from it. The one thing I think that's uh, really pushed that trend of 25 to 30 is supplementation. You know, you yeah. get your protein, <laughs> yeah. you get your protein powder uh, box or What's whatever. What's in the scoop? Your tub. Okay, one scoop is what you need, you know, during your workout. After how many proteins is that? Oh, 25. Oh, that's the master number. I've what been do you hearing. know? Yeah, I've been hearing forever. But with that, is there? Uh, we were talking about it earlier, muscle bill with uh, protein isolate, uh, a whey protein. Yeah. yeah, I got a
0: question yeah. versus isolate because it's more expensive. Is it better than, say, a concentrate or a blend? Right? Yeah,
2: I I love that. I love that somebody asked whoever asked that question. Really, thank you. Uh, Shout out to because I, I I like to I uh, like to say stuff that's not uh not common okay I, i'm gonna go against the grain here i'm gonna say that concentrates are better than isolates sure okay so I, everybody probably rolled their eyes and shook their head and said what the hell but i, I have reasons for it now i most, remember this from
0: years ago yeah, we so, talked about this
2: or in the who i don't like the book he wrote it was the warrior diet which was about fasting in the morning like a warrior would and hunting for your food and then eating afterwards mm-hmm. I, I don't think that actually works for what most people want to do but yeah. he's a protein researcher. And um, his idea was that the stuff that we take out of concentrates is really important. We take out immunoglobulins. So these are things that help boost immunity. And we take out phospholipids, which are protein transporters. So they, they actually help carry proteins around in the bloodstream and help them get into muscle cells to be, to be synthesized. Those things are gone. So when you think of an isolate, like think of this... It's kind of like if we said, yeah, we really like whole eggs, but we just don't really want the yolk, and we're like, boom, it's gone. Like, why did you take the yolk out? Like, maybe it was part of this holistic food. I I think that's the case with with whey protein with with concentrate. It has everything you need, and then you go and you strip a bunch out. So, what are you left with? Okay, you're left with slightly more amounts of protein. So, given your your scoop is now 25 grams instead of 22 grams, gain three extra grams of protein. Yep. Um, but they take out all the fat. Well, what was the fat? Well, phospholipids are part of that fat. Okay. That's gone. That's a protein transporter. That, that, that'll that improve bioavailability. That's the amount of protein you take in and don't crap out. You used it. Well, that, that's that gone now. Yep. Um, an advantage of isolate, though, would be that they take out things like lactose. Okay, right. that's good. A lot of people have problems with lactose. My solution to that would be buy a whey protein concentrate that has lactase in it. That right. should take care of it. But yeah. otherwise, essentially... A lot of the stuff gets taken out. Like I said, the immunoglobulins get taken out. The phospholipids get taken out. This whole texture of the protein is different too. You get a yeah. protein and it's creamy and whatever. And then you get a price issue. Like now they did all this processing and took out a bunch of useful stuff and then charged whatever, 20, 50% more, yeah. 100% more. depends where you go. Like if you look at hydroxylate, now they pre-digested that stuff.
0: Right.
2: I think whey, prote- pre- whey protein concentrates are the way to go on virtually every level except if you have massive issues with lactose and the lactase isn't helping.
1: Okay. okay? The, the no lactose thing surprised me because I just learned this the other day yeah. that a lot of, lot of items at the grocery store that say lactose-free is not lactose-free. It just has that digestive enzyme added to yeah. the
2: product. Well, I, I will tell you from a, from a food industry perspective, there's a lot of things on labels that are legal terms not intuitive terms. Sure. So for example, like in, in the US, the Canada laws are actually a lot better, but we'll just take the US for our example and say, when they say cage-free for a chicken, it doesn't mean they're not in a cage. It means they're not in a small cage. <laughs> <laughs> they're in a big cage. You're in a it bank. has to say free range because cage-free is a legal term. It's not intuitive. You're like, oh, I bought this as cage-free. Like, No, right. it was just in, a, it was in an enclosure. It wasn't free range. It just wasn't in a singular enclosure. enclosure. So even with things like lactose, I'm not sure about the specific product. I'd have to look. But you just have to be careful that when you're reading stuff, if they're legal terms, they're not intuitive. Right. Right? Hormone-free in the U.S. doesn't mean hormone-free. It means hormone-free for the last 90 days. It's a legal term.
0: It's fine print. You actually have to call – It's crazy. It's
2: not even fine print. It's no print. You have to know what the Uh, law said. The legal A's, right? I gotcha. The the language of, of, um, um, of the law, you have to understand the, the industry is deliberately um, confusing. It's not meant to be easy. It's like Michael Pollan wrote in his book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Like where our food comes from is deliberately hard to look into. It, it, it's, 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 it's not easy to tell this stuff, and it's confusing on purpose. Yeah, It's like even food labels themselves, are they're confusing, right? I used to look at food labels... And see, oh, it's brown sugar and white sugar and apple pectin and agave. I'm like, why do they put so many different sugars in there? It's because when you look at, a, when you look at the label of your food, the order of the ingredients is from most to least. Right. So if they took all those sugars and combined them into one sugar, it would be the <laughs> right. first ingredient. But if we split it up into five different sugars, it's all right. its ingredients. Yeah, sneaky six, bastards. Seven. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's why they do it. It's, it's yeah. really about deception. You kind of have to know what you're doing. Um, so when you're talking about the lactose thing, yeah. it's, it's very possibly true. Oh, oh it definitely was I yeah. like, I,
1: I was working at a grocery store at, at the time and I actually checked the ingredients and, and sure enough, and yeah. to put that in perspective for the people, what that did for me was I went, I was paying like two, three bucks more every time I was buying <laughs> milk for this bullshit lactose free <laughs> milk. Yeah. So instead I went and bought a, a container of uh, lactase yeah. enzymes, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Bought the cheap milk. Yep. Popped an yep. enzyme that lasted me like forty bags of milk. Yeah. And I was saving a bunch of money. Yeah. It's like this is, you know what I mean? Like did, you the, things like
2: did you buy the type that you popped? Because you used to be able to get a dropper and you would put a drop in your milk bag. Oh yeah. Oh, that'd be easier. Yeah, yeah it, was it was even was, easier. Was yeah, pills. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> either way, you could add it to the to the milk <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, obviously, funny. now you have you have um, you have the uh, other options, right? You can do almond milk and all that sort of thing. Yeah, which I, do, which I do, which I do now, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. So just a quick one that almond milk. Yeah. That's an okay.
2: Yeah, it seems to be so. The, I think when almond milk first came out, for the most part, anyway, all you would see was sweetened almond milk. Right. Yeah. So it was you know it was water, whatever, and then sugar. Yeah. And then whatever some pressed almond milk. Um, now most of what you see is actually just really low calorie, mostly water and this kind of like crushed or pressed almond. And yeah. I don't know why they call it milk there i i i it has to do with texture it obviously has nothing to yeah, do with yeah cuz it milk. has
1: nothing to do with yeah. actually dairy milk like nothing uh, yeah. right
2: it, it looks like it and it almost sort of tastes like it and you could imagine they want you to use it as a substitute for milk so people will put it in their um in their cereal, they'll put it in their coffee. I, yeah. I think they're using it for strategic purposes. There's sure. nothing milk about it except that it's liquid and they probably even color it white.
1: What about cashew milk? That's one thing I know nothing about, but I see it in the grocery store right beside the almond milk. Sure. I'm always, yeah. Do I want to try this? Or I think almonds are better than cashews, so yeah, I just stick to the almond.
2: I, uh, I haven't looked into it specifically either. When you look at the, the fat profiles of nuts, the three I recommend are the PAW, PAW, right? So your pecans, almonds, walnuts.
1: Oh, nice. They're,
2: they're a little bit different, uh, each of them, but like some have like high, higher omega 3 some are really high in fiber. Uh, again, for those that are mostly looking at the, the, uh, the fat profile, they're superior to most other things. People can make arguments for Brazil nuts and macadamia nuts and even cashews.
0: Sure. Those
2: have traditionally been your top three. If you really wanted to, you could look into like, okay, what are all the different kind of protein or um fat factions that are making fractions that are making this up i don't know i imagine it's quite good too there's there's lots of these alternative products that are coming out that are quite good yeah but essentially they're taking something they're pressing it and they're adding water to it and maybe they're sweetening it or something like that but i
1: like that acronym the paw you know because people are always like oh because i say nuts are a good treat right And they're always saying wet nuts yeah like uh Almonds. (laughs) (laughs) almonds
2: well, <laughs> <laughs> I would go walnut walnuts about to choose one but yeah. I, would, I would put I would put almond second but uh I don't know if you guys are familiar or not. I know a lot of people are, but like if you look at something like peanuts, they're not even a nut.
0: Yeah, right. Right, they're yep. legumes, legumes. They're actually
2: a vegetable. They yep. just—it's a misnomer, right? Like we call it a nut, so we think of it as a nut. But it's—if we thought of it as a vegetable, we'd say, okay, it's good for certain things, but it's really not. Like the fat profile is terrible on it. Yeah, it's almost no omega threes in there, and the stuff they the have.
0: They're mostly omega six, correct?
2: Yeah, if I remember correctly, I, I looked think. at him before. I don't want to speak too authoritatively sure. on on the the fat breakdown of it yep. profile was, but it's it's terrible in comparison to paw. It's You're, not as good. Yeah. almost walnuts. So yeah. Those would be your main ones. Uh, Brazil nuts have certainly gotten more popular now because the amount of selenium and stuff they have in them. Sure. But um, but yeah, those are your main three. I think you do well. I, I advise a lot of clients to buy all three, mix it up in equal portions, yeah. and just like grab a handful when yeah. you need it. I did
0: that years ago with you too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like one it's a meal, great snack.
2: one meal you do walnuts, the next almonds, the next pecan. I don't care which way you do it, but yeah. those are the ones I would stick with. Nice. Yeah.
0: I think one of the last questions I have for nutrition sort of is about water. And it, water yeah. intake. Is there a way to know if you're drinking enough or is there like a generic amount or, you know, some people talk about urine color and clear and whatever. Yeah. Is there like physiological traits that you can sort of look for or a feeling or?
2: Well, yeah. Well, in that sense, some of the ones you pointed out, right? So if you have like really yellow urine, you're probably yep. dehydrated. Sure. Um, I posted something recently about the amount of water you should be taking in. And this whole, this, this eight cups of day, eight cups of water a day came from like some old article that it wasn't based on anything. If I remember correctly, it was a Reader's Digest article. Oh, good. That, that said it. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. The, yeah. Beside yeah. the toilet magazine. Yeah. And, and then they actually the started looking into it. And it, in around two and a half, in around, what was it? Two and a half to three liters a day yeah. to account for your activity, or sorry, to, to, to for a sedentary yeah. person, and then you have to add your activity on top of that. Sure. So one of your quick kind of measures in terms of, am I getting enough after activity is, you should be weighing yourself before training and after training, and you shouldn't, ha- you shouldn't see a change okay. in your weight. If you do, you're dehydrated. You didn't consume enough water. Mm. Now, you don't have to do this every day. You just might have to figure out, okay, when I train an hour, I need approximately maybe another liter. Right. So if you're two and a half to three liters, depending on if you're male or female, yep. uh, if you're in the three liters, I think it's where around uh, most males should be. So you might add another liter on top of that and take you to four liters, which is about a gallon a day. Yeah. But you have to adjust for a bunch of things, right? So if you work outside, if you work just in general and you sweat a lot, if you work out long periods of time, if you're outside a lot, if it's summer versus winter, right. those numbers could go higher, but the whole eight cups a day, yeah. there's not a lot. But like you said, even things like cramping, you start cramping more, you're yeah. probably dehydrated. Um, yeah, urine color, um, yep. that sort of stuff. If your weight's changing a lot from from pre-workout to post-workout, those are all indications that you're not being hydrated enough. I think so I, I think-
0: just, yeah, sorry, just bringing it back to the, the 3% difference makes it 10% change, which I think was before we started recording,
2: but yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah.
1: is there a way to know if oh, I'm going to be 10% yeah, it makes it, it makes it relative why yeah. it's important to drink water. What were those stats yeah, you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, so there? something
2: really interesting was uh, for performance athletes, a 3% loss in water yielded a 10% decrease in performance.
1: That is crazy, man. It's huge.
2: It is wild, right? So uh, you, again, we were talking about this beforehand, but the question was like, does that scale? So like is a 6% loss in water... Uh, 20% loss in performance. Right. I, I don't know. I would actually imagine it gets worse. Yeah. So it's somewhat. No, like
0: 25 or something. Yeah. yeah it's knows. some sort of like parabolic. Yeah, I, I doubt relation. it goes better, that's
1: for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't imagine it gets better.
2: <laughs> um, so I would imagine it's parabolic, so that the, the more dehydrated you get, the more relative difference it has in terms right. of uh, performance. negative performance. Sure. So um but if you just even contextualize that if you're a 200 pound male that's six pounds and, and a lot of guys know you can lose that in a training session oh, for sure so if you're not replenishing that then you're going to be at a massive disadvantage if your goal is sports and performance but even in general like if you just want to lift a lot of weights yeah and um like for olympic athletes between first and fourth place is around a one percent difference or less and that was a guy named uh, vladimir vladimir zatsyorski who uh he wrote a book uh, the science and practice of strength training and this guy was like the head of the Soviet training program and kind of Soviet Russia um, at the peak of their athletics. And he had access to all these journals. So he's looking at like marathon runners, he's looking at sprinters, he's looking at the weightlifters. And this number of 1% was what separated you from being first place in gold meddling and being fourth place and not meddling at all. That was a 1% difference. We're talking a 10% difference from a 3% loss in water. Yeah. So even a 1% loss in water is probably more than a 1% loss in right. performance. So if you're doing anything performance-wise, hydration's incredibly yeah. important. And just to go back, the things that matter, like you said, urine color. Yeah. color. Uh, if you're cramping, sure. if your weight is staying steady pre and post-training, um, and then you know, sticking around maybe three liters a day plus a liter probably per hour of training, Plus more on top of that to account for any conditions yep. or any changes at all. Yeah. I just,
0: for myself, like sometimes, let's say on the lat pull down, right? One day I'll do sets of whatever with 100 pounds. Sure. And then a week later, you know, barring CNS fatigue and whatever other kind of stuff you want to talk about. But say the next week, oh, I can only do 90 pounds now. I potentially could be dehydrated and that could make a difference in that, could say, 10%, be. right? Yep. So... I think that's something a lot of people don't think about. It's you one know, of like, the easiest factors, too. Yeah. Did I drink into the same amount of water yesterday and today and, you know, this whole week? Well, maybe I'm dehydrated, so today I'm weaker. Yeah. It's a
1: simple thing you could try for Did sure. Did I abuse right? caffeine? Sure. Did I drink some alcohol? That's you right. know, it's like good. people yeah. That, yeah, yeah. that are yeah. doing everyday things, you yeah. know what I mean? Yep. Like right, like before, I was right drinking now. some wine. I'm dehydrated yeah. now a bit. Is so that going to affect my performance tomorrow? It, it will. It would. Yeah, if I'm not going to rehydrate. Yeah. Like
2: you said, things like caffeine and, um, and, uh, and alcohol; these are things that that are mild diuretics. So certainly, these things are going to have effects. That's why like, you'll see a lot of people um, that compete in, in bodybuilding or physique or something like that, and they'll take red wine the night before, you know, for his for his. Um for sort of gym sciency as it is, there's some basis to it. It's going to cause sure. probably an increase in vascularity and a decrease in interstitial water storage. Yeah. It's something I still recommend for athletes too. And I'm yep. usually very anti-bro sciency. That one I like. Yeah. I do that one. <laughs> before uh,
1: the the Blue Star shoots, like I'm, I'm not, I don't, I only know performance wise, right? I don't yeah. know what's going to make me look jacked and dry and ripped. Yeah, but uh, that was one of the hints I had was cheesecake and because uh, yeah. the fats, oh, yeah. and then red wine. So I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll jump on that train.
2: <laughs> I mean, Give me the ball. Bo- <laughs> <I mean>, it'll <laughs> work. Yeah, well, that bro
1: science is. Good. Yeah, yeah, I
2: love bro science. Yo, I'll tell you what, that was actual real science there. I think there's reasons that I, I actually think that when you're looking at maximum vascularity, you're gonna have some sort of dehydration in the sense that you're gonna lose this interstitial water and you're gonna pull the water into the vascular system and intracellular. The question is like, how do we do this? I think the way most people do it is is wrong. I think it's wrong scientifically and I think it's wrong just on the basis of kind of the logic of how things work in terms of you know, um, where carbohydrates store and and how water and salt affect all of these things. So I think that um, in terms of kind of the, why are you getting this effect when you're doing that? I think that salt helps bring water into the vascular system. Mm -hmm. And I think that having some sort of diuretic effect helps lose some of the interstitial water. And this is what makes you vascular and dry. This yeah. is what you're trying to accomplish when you're doing a bodybuilding show or a physique show or something like that, is how do you get the water from underneath the skin into the vascular system and into the muscle cells itself. Right. And that's kind of the, the mystery. I, again, I think, I think the way most people do it is probably incorrect and probably overcomplicated as right. well. So you'll see people when they're doing competition dieting, They're running along, they're two weeks out, they're shredded, they look fantastic, they eat the same diet for the last four months, and now all of a sudden, well, five days out, we gotta change absolutely everything. The food changes, the water changes. So your most common thing is like, maybe a week out, these people start water loading, they start sodium loading, Mm -hmm. and then three days out, they reverse it and they start cutting the water back and trying to cut the sodium and then adding in a whole bunch of carbohydrate on top of that. And they took a package that was 5% off, And only needed a 5% adjustment and gave it a 95% adjustment. Sure. And then the question is like, why the hell did I look like shit on stage? Well, you know, when you changed literally everything that was working. Yeah. And and tried to wrap up this package with all these, this multifaceted sort of thing and account for everything that was happening and try to make it into some sort of working system. And it didn't work. And the question is why? Well, you tried to play with absolutely everything at once. And you have to be selective about some of the things that that you play with and some of the things that you leave alone. So like food type, I leave alone. If you were eating something two weeks out, I guarantee you're going to be eating that the day before the show and probably on the day of the show because I don't want to mess with the foods. I don't want to give you something that you might be intolerant to or you might not be able to digest. Um, and then just try to play with a couple of things like the salt intake and the water intake and yeah. the
0: carbohydrates. Just as a quick touch, did you guys watch the Ronnie Coleman documentary at all?
2: The one of him currently, yeah, on where Netflix. I think I watched about seventy-five um, percent of it. Well,
0: I think I think it was Kevin Le- Levrone, but he mentioned about before the show or <laughs> yeah. whatever. He's like, I hey, Ronnie came to my room and I gave him some wine and a yeah. piece of pizza or something, and then he was woke up the next, vodka or well, something. Vo- yeah, yeah. It was vodka. It was hard. Yeah, yeah. drank yeah. yeah. drank a <laughs> bunch of booze and ate a piece of pizza yeah. and woke up the next day and won the show. Yeah. They're like. What the fuck? Well, there's the same thing. Like, oh, I had cheesecake and wine. All right, well, vodka and pizza in that, you know, specific situation, yeah, yeah, right? Understand. But <laughs> it's <laughs> like, fuck, man. <laughs> well, so let me
2: be clear. When you mess up so badly, at least give it a shot and do something extreme. Because if sure. you just keep going, you're still going to look like crap in the morning. right? So in that sense, you're like, yeah, no mind you, you have guys that are competing at 260 to 290 pounds shredded on stage. Yeah. Yeah, like guys like Dennis Wolf are no one to eat like. 50 cookies the day of the show plus a large pizza and whatever else these guys have places to put that carbohydrate i think one of the issues a lot of people have is they spill over sure they they actually so spilling over literally means that when you store glycogen it's 2.7 grams of water for every one gram of glucose so the glycogen you store that's your stored carbohydrate within a muscle cell is mostly water and when you spill over it means that you don't have any more room left and so you can't Create any more glycogen, which means you can't uptake any more water, and the water spills over. It stays interstitial. This is what happens with a lot of people. You'll see they're waterlogged on a show.
1: They balloon out. You mean they?
2: They they just everything is soft because the water's beneath the skin because it has nowhere to go. Because there's there's already enough carbohydrate that they can't store anymore. Right. And what a lot of guys do is they, they just overload on this carbohydrate, they start at like five hundred, a thousand grams. They're trying to do this for three days. The body can only store five hundred grams of carbohydrate, but if you if you absolutely cut it to, to zero, you might be able to have like super storages, so maybe you can store twice that. But right. essentially, they run into this situation, and then there's nothing else to do. So at that point, if you're that screwed and you messed up that badly, you can you know maybe try to run a bunch of alcohol to, get, to have some sort of diuretic effect.
0: Yeah, to draw it out. Yeah, so maybe that's kind yeah. of your,
2: your thought. But otherwise, yep. I, I do think one of the biggest mistakes people make is, is loading up on carbohydrates too much, yep. which can cause them to spill over because they don't have any room to store more glycogen, which means they can't pour more pull more water intracellular. And they'll also tend to add in carbohydrates they haven't had in a long period of time. So, just actually really quickly on digestion. Yeah. So when you digest foods, you have enzymes that are that are basically protein arrangements that help break down foods. Well, those arrangements can be specific to certain food types. So, you know, if you eat lots of salads and vegetables, you have an enzymatic profile that will help to break down foods that look like that. Yeah. When you throw in foods that are new. The enzymes, they, they don't work, right? It's like, hey, I have enzymes that are shaped this way. They, they, they have this sort of function, and you gave me a food that I'm not used to. You gave me KFC, and I wanted lettuce. And they can't break it down anymore, and then they get massive GI distress, which literally means the food's going through undigested into the GI tract. you yeah. get gassy. They get diarrhea. They get all that sort of stuff. Um, and you have people that are the exact opposite, too. They eat so crappy that if you gave them an apple – they, they, they can't digest that because yeah. their enzymatic profile is one way versus another. Yep. So um, yeah we just have to be wary that we're not in, in, in contest prep or in anything randomly throwing in a radically different food. So again, going back to contest prep, if you're not eating a whole bunch of carbohydrates in your regular diet and then you try and throw 500 grams or 1,000 grams of carbohydrates in per day, how do you think your body's going to react to that? Yeah. Not very well because you your say, enzymatic profile yeah. isn't yeah. capable of handling anymore. Even if it was a food you used to be able to eat, you can't anymore because your enzymes change yeah. and they change based on the foods you regularly eat to try to be efficient so they're not producing enzymes that are useless.
0: I'm running into that right now. I'll maybe talk to you after, but yeah, I'm having sure. trouble with green vegetables for sure. They cause systemic inflammation and I, I've run a couple of self-experiments because I get my cholesterol checked all the time. Yep. But my specific case, I don't. this isn't true I'm sure with lots of people, but my cholesterol has gone up when I've introduced green vegetables because it's, I believe it's because of systemic inflammation from gut distress, which is a weird sort of situation i've had a lot of shit happen but yeah i'm not gonna say that's applicable to most people but i've just i've been trying to introduce more vegetables because like i want to eat the micronutrients and I'm having a lot of trouble just you know like i've had a, a hell of a year but uh i'm okay, trying to get reset you know and yeah, it's, your, it's been tough
2: your issue's gonna be a lot different right Cause absolutely it's, it's no. not based on enzymes it's based on on the body's response to something and maybe yeah. thinking it's like a pathogen pathogen or um um, basically something that's not supposed to be in the body. Like you can have something like, uh, like, uh, like IBS, right. Where you're, you're getting an inflammatory response to yeah. food that's supposed to be healthy. This, that doesn't have anything to do with enzymes. Okay. Uh, it's different, right. The body's just recognizing something. It's, it's sort of like autoimmune, right. It's re- something that's not supposed to be harmful. It's recognizing yeah. and it's, it's creating an inflammatory response. Yeah. Same thing. If you have Crohn's or something, it's like, Hey man, I'm trying to give you good food. And it's like, no, I'm not going to have any of that. Yeah. Um, Those things are very complex. For sure. Even the the best doctors in the world have the most moderate of solutions, as I'm sure you're finding. I'm finding
0: that right now. I I will (laughs) tell you,
2: I'm um, I'm very confident in the things I know and also very confident in the things I don't know. Sure. This isn't something I know, but I, I can pretty comfortably say it's probably not something very much... Anybody knows.
0: I know. That's the trouble I'm having. Yeah. yeah. So yeah.
2: one thing with Western medicine is that we're really good at treating acute conditions. So you break your arm or
0: Absolutely. you need
2: surgery or something like that. We're quite poor for the most part in chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. We're not very good at treating cancers. We're not very good at treating autoimmune. We're not very good at, at treating inflammatory conditions. Like these things, we don't have even things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, all, all Any, those sorts anything of Anything
1: nutrition wise, really.
2: Well, I think that doctors like we got to recognize what doctors are good at. Most med schools require zero nutrition courses. So just understand that your doctor's nutrition background isn't necessarily better than your next-door neighbors. Right. Now, that's not to say you can't have a doctor that's passionate about nutrition. Absolutely, yeah. I'm passionate about nutrition. But um, it just means that just because they're a doctor, it doesn't mean that they know nutrition. And that's okay. We don't have to pretend a doctor should know. I mean, Medicine and, and health is becoming more and more complex and more and more specialized. So we can't expect that your MD knows everything. No. So you say, there's certain things I go to an MD for and there's certain things I go to a nutrition specialist for and to recognize the difference. So if you're um, type 2 diabetic, you know, maybe your doctor's not the best to go and get metformin for. And don't, I, I think metformin's good. It, it could actually be life-saving if you have sure. terrible diabetes. Um, but metformin's not why you got diabetes in the first place. It's not a
0: metformin deficiency, right? Yeah, yeah. that's
2: exactly right. (laughs) It's not a metformin deficiency. And having metformin doesn't fix anything else that you might need fixing, whether it's as simple as increasing activity levels and decreasing carbohydrate intake. So we just have to... Some people like to bash doctors, like doctors don't know anything. Doctors know a lot of things. They just don't know everything. Well,
1: yeah, of course, right? of yeah. course. And I was just surprised, like even nowadays, I thought it would be more, or at least they refer you to someone. Like when I asked you, Muscle Bill, yeah. all the medications they gave you, yeah. and I asked you, did they, did they give you like a guideline, of foods to eat, maybe something to prepare your body for that or to, yeah. to ease the body with all this medication, the side effects of it? And you're like, no, they just kind of… Yeah. <laughs> Check the food guide. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you're, just, you're into working out and stuff, so you probably have a good yeah, idea. Just like, like I was on antibiotics yeah. for years, Yeah, and no doctor ever told me that I should worry about my gut health. Right. What? Same. You know what I mean? Same. Oh my, yeah. Me what? Yep. Yeah, for like four years, I was on antibiotics on and off, yep. and not one doctor ever recommended yeah. anything about gut health. Okay, Absolutely. I got a,
2: I got a quick segue to this then, right? So gut health has to be probably the most... Interesting area of research right now. In uh, this is my personal view. I think it's the most interesting area of research with respect to health. Right, we're, we're learning all kinds of things about the gut and the implications of it that are just completely non-intuitive or counterintuitive. So your gut can can affect um, your mood.
1: Oh, it's mind-boggling. Oh, yeah. Right? The gut so is like the hub. Is what they're pretty much seeing. Your gut is really
2: cool because there's something called the vagus nerve. It goes from the gut to the brain. Yeah. And if you sever the vagus nerve, this is in like rat and mice models. The gut still functions completely fine that's mind-boggling because if you sever the connection of the gut to the brain the gut has a mind of its own yeah it's not centralized it's kind of like a jellyfish like clearly they're working as some sort of unit but there's no central processing unit there's no brain the gut is like that it works even without the vagus nerve so that means it doesn't take it's not a kind of a top down where the brain's telling you what to do it just it works um but having deficiencies in the gut, so like a lack of of, um, of uh, proper balance and, and probiotics and living bacteria and stuff, has massive impacts. So even things like depression can be explained yeah, sometimes absolutely. by gut health. So that doesn't mean yeah. that you know if you have brain damage and the result is depression that that's because of your gut that's a different but specific thing so yeah the thought is that the gut is is what's necessary to break down foods and process them and to get the nutrition out of them well if the gut's compromised it means you could be eating foods and not getting the nutrition from them and if you're not getting the nutrition then the body might create like a panic signal or an anxiety signal or something like that for sure um because it's saying hey you're eating all this food or maybe you're not even eating, eating the food but even if you are i can't do anything with it because the gut's not healthy and I, I don't have the enzymes and I don't have the, the right flora and fauna and all this sort of stuff going on there um, and so the, the result is panic and, and some sort of some brain condition sure. or mood condition or something like that but that's, that's interesting with the gut it's stuff that we never thought of and uh, one of the main things I recommend is fiber and it's not for the boring reason that fiber, fiber makes you regular, it's that fiber feeds gut bacteria and if that gut bacteria is healthy then you get a lot of benefits from it over and above being regular and all that sort of stuff.
1: Right, so that's yeah. what you'd recommend to a client. Let's say that someone wanted said they had lots of... Get, like, let's just generalize. Obviously, sure. there's a million different situations out there, but if someone just had like a, uh, some kind of stomach issue, right, they, they they just don't digest food very well, or they've ate poorly for a long time, what's something that they could add into their diet to kind of help, would you say, something high-fiber?
2: Uh, it's a great question, uh, and I, and I think I would probably... It, it, it does have to be specific to the person. Yeah. Because your other option is adding. So you've got your prebiotics and you've got your probiotics, right? Pro, yeah. okay? So your prebiotics are your things like your fiber that feed the existing gut bacteria. Yep. Your probiotics are the bacteria itself. Right.
1: Like a kimchi, for example. Um,
2: right? Maybe, but I'm talking things like your acidophilus, your oh, Bifidus. Okay, okay, your, yeah. Your, a yeah more these specific. Different, yeah, yeah, so yeah. even the kimchi, it's fermented and it probably has gut bacteria in it. But um, even things like the yogurt bacteria and stuff probably aren't. All that useful even though they are gut bacteria there's certain strains that are and I, I've been trying to find really specific information strain by strain and it's very difficult to do so I can't tell you which strains are best and every product yeah. will tell you like I think it's like raminosis, longum, bifidus, uh, acidophilus, and they're all saying, oh, this is the best because of that. I haven't been able to find any compelling data to show one's better than the other. But you you do have a two-pronged approach. You can either add the bacteria in itself or you can add in the fiber or the prebiotics so the bacteria can feed. Now, if you are low bacteria to begin with, like if you did an antibiotic and killed your bacteria, because antibiotics kill organisms, including... The biotics that live or the the probiotics that live in your gut. If you killed all that off, adding fiber doesn't help all that much because yeah, I find the fiber will grow, but that's a that's a slow approach. I would add in the probiotics first, replenish what you have, and then deal with the prebiotics maybe as a longer term thing. There's lots of medications that impact probiotics, and those are the sorts of things where adding probiotics in is actually your best bet, and then adding the prebiotic in is better. Now, probiotics are generally a little more expensive, but they're cheaper than they used to be. And they're now effective. I think back in the day, you would buy like a, a pill that had 2 billion organisms, which might sound like a lot, yeah. but you have over a trillion yeah. cells, right? Now you get stuff that's like 70 billion per yep. tab. So you can take two of those tabs and you have 140 billion. And yep. It's a contribution to the amount that you should have. When before, if you took 2 billion, it's like, oh, you know, it's like a drop in Lake Superior yep. or something like that. It's, it's not going to have all that much uh, impact. So, um, yeah, if you, if you have something where you're actually missing the gut bacteria to begin with, I would do probiotics first. Right. Then add in your pre. Yep. For most people, prebiotics are cheap. Buy a good fiber supplement. Yeah. Uh, psyllium fiber husk psyllium and flax seeds. Psyllium fiber right, yep. Those sure. are the two I like. I think they're different. Yep. Uh, the psyllium fiber is, is good for different reasons than the, um, than the flax seed is. And the flax seed has, like, your essential fatty acids. Those are the two I like the best. Don't get psyllium fiber— like your Metamucil will get psyllium fiber husk. The husk matters.
0: Now, do you do you want to touch on why you like those specifically and why they're different? Or is that kind of a really in-depth sort of well, dive?
2: Yeah, so like I said, for the for the flaxseed, I like it because it has the essential fatty acids. Sure. Um, the psyllium fiber husk is completely non-digestible. So it's like this filler in the gut. So in that sense, it's probably not the best for, for gut health specifically, but it also helps to lower cholesterol levels and kind of push stuff through the gut and keep all that sort of stuff clean. Okay. The flax seed's probably a little bit better as a um, um, uh, a water soluble um, fiber. Okay. Uh, there's all kinds of different ones though, but like the psyllium fiber itself is probably less useful than those two. There's a certain product that I that I like called Daily Cleanse, and I'm, I'm not yeah. sponsored by anybody. Anything I mention when it comes to uh, supplements, I'm not sponsored. I, I take the things that I think are the best. So uh, a product called um, Daily Cleanse by North North Coast Naturals yeah. has like seven different fibers in it, but it's primarily those two. And this stuff is cheap. It's $30 for a kilo. So, I mean, if you're taking like five grams a day, that's 200 days worth. If you're taking 10 grams a day, it's 100 days worth. So over three months. But that's um, lots of reasons why gut health. So if you had a doctor that wasn't telling you that your antibiotics were killing... The gut bacteria you had, and then the implications of that. Yeah. I mean, that's almost <laughs> it's almost malpractice to well, me. Well, mind you, we're talking <laughs> early, early '90s, but, right? Yeah. Like it's but different. that's the reality. Yeah, that's yeah. the that. reality. You're talking about getting chronically ill. Yeah. I'm, oh, the, yeah. I'm the same
0: yeah. way though. I was, I had, uh, I was a carrier for strep throat my whole childhood, so I was on like amoxicillin essentially, different strands, but mostly amoxicillin for like 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
2: That's penicillin, right? Uh, Antibiotic?
0: Uh, uh, base, but yeah, amoxicillin. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. A, the acillin family, whatever. But cloxicillin, amoxicillin, but. It's, i'm in a similar boat i'm like all right well is that affecting me now then maybe still like you know it's i'm going way back so. if you
2: have any issues with it um then a probiotic uh, whatever supplement regime Something, for yeah. a period of time will be beneficial sure
0: yeah yeah that's it. we sell a lot of them at work like at the store we we have up to 120 billion even well but I th- there's like basically 12 oh, really? 12 uh 20 50 i think i forget the increments but
2: 120 billion for one cap or for two
0: I believe it's for one. They are That's definitely amazing. more expensive, but uh, it's. I, th- I don't want to misspeak. It's either new roots or um,
2: natural factors that makes it. But okay. Yeah,
0: I can let you. I can take a picture of more or whatever. Yeah, work, I take but. a look.
2: So a lot of them are a little bit misleading. Where they'll call it like uh, there's one product that calls it like something something seventy. Like oh seventy billion. It's like okay your dose is two yeah, and it's thirty five per. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, 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 whatever, sure. just look thirty five billion still a lot. Like I said, back in the day you'd have two. Yep. and it was useless, even though the research was showing it might be useful, it would be like a bottle a day, yeah. at like 50 or $60 a bottle, right? Yep. So it's much more useful now. Um, I, I don't think everybody actually needs them. I think they're an expensive way to go about it. Sure, but yeah. if you have issues, even if you wanted to run like a protocol where you're like, okay, I'm going to start this sort of, gut protocol and I'm going to do whatever, like one bottle worth of, of a probiotic first and then I'm going to use prebiotic to maintain and every once in a while I'll throw an extra probiotic. Yep. That would be fine.
0: Yep. Because yep. I believe, I, again, I'm not an expert on this either, but I think you can't overpopulate. Your stomach kind of auto-regulates the total amount. So like say you have 100% bacteria yeah. and you take a bottle of probiotics that you didn't need. You're not going to have 150% bacteria. You're just going to flush some out, I think.
2: I, that one I'm not sure of, but that, that sounds yeah. possible. Your body does auto-regulate yeah. a lot of things. That seems like something it, it could very well do. I'm just not familiar with yeah, that. Yeah, I, and I, I'm not yeah.
0: well-researched at all, but I, I believe I've seen that and heard that from different people who are more gut-biome-oriented, and they say, like, if you take one every six months or something, for example, you're not going to overdose on gut bacteria, right? Yeah. So, but anyways,
1: yeah, it's neat especially since you said it's its own thing, probably knows what's up down there. doesn't need the brain to tell you if you got too much or too <laughs> yeah, little. That's a good <laughs> that's right. point. I got your gut point. is really yeah. smart and
2: it'll figure it yeah, out. Yeah. There's lots of things we auto-regulate, right? Like if you take in like too much sodium or potassium, your body will excrete more. Yeah. Um, even with like blood glucose. So you, you have a couple of things in the body that are so highly regulated, right? Blood glucose is one and the sodium-potassium balance is another. When you take in extra sodium or you take in extra potassium, the body just excretes it if it's too much. Same thing with like carbohydrate, right? Like you can, you can, um, you can take in massive amounts of carbohydrate, but your blood sugar levels don't go to dangerous levels where you die from like an acidosis or something like that, like, like, or or like a hyperglycemia. Um, the body regulates it quite well. So it's not surprising to think that it does this in a whole bunch of other ways, including monitoring uh, gut bacteria or something like that.
0: So, I want to touch on some training stuff too. Yeah, shoot. I wonder oh. just a simple thing, like I said, um, some takeaway things for people, but we're coming in the summertime. Yep. And a lot of, we'll try to encourage people to go outside. Like Joel and I talk a lot about walking. We're trying to incorporate or are incorporating things like hiking or walking and fresh air and things. But say you have like you and your spouse or your kids or whatever, there's some sort of activities that you could say, all right, this is this is an easy thing to incorporate to get more outdoor exercise in the summertime when it's nice weather. Instead yeah. of being like, eh, I want to go to the gym and walk in the treadmill for an hour as a lot of people do. Yep. not there's anything wrong with that, but like sort of a, you know, get some sunshine. Yeah. Sort of idea.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I tell every client to be as active as they can, especially in the summer. And I think that things like games don't feel like going to yeah. the gym and working out or stepping on a treadmill. We're programmed for games. I mean, lots of benefits come from the mental um, teamwork yeah. stuff for children in development. Play games. Play team games. Um, play games with your family. Play games like like flag football or, or something like that. Game, games are easy because they don't really – even if it's like a pick, a, pick a basketball or going and playing tennis, those, those are things that – they use huge amounts of calories and they don't feel like walking on a treadmill. Yeah. So that sort of stuff for sure. And I think, again, for kids, I think that games and – Things that involve strategy and teamwork are, are just good for mental health as well. But in but on top of that too, like let's just say you didn't want to go to the gym a lot of days or you you, you have a, a cottage or if you're from Thunder Bay, you have a camp. Yeah, right. And you like to go out to that. Um, you can just buy a couple of pieces of equipment like kettlebells. Kettlebells are great. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it. You can press, you can swing. You can set up a chin-up bar or yep. something like that and then get like a spare tire that you can flip. Like That's a really good – get a hammer so you can – Hit the tire and do yeah, some sort of it. swings and stuff like that. Uh, maybe you can get like one plate, like a forty-five pound plate. Like honestly, for a hundred dollars, you can you can get yourself a pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, set. And then things like, the, like, like I was talking about the military before, like sit ups, push ups. And, um, and chin ups will get you in pretty good shape. Sure. So those are the sorts of things I would recommend. Um, for outdoor cardio, one of my favorite recommendations is hill sprints. Oh yeah. I I think that a couple of minutes of hill sprints and I'm not talking a couple of minutes straight. I'm talking, you run up the hill, you walk down, you run up and
0: total work time. Yeah. Maybe
2: four minutes in total. That's a, that's a highly effective way. Uh, and I really like the hill sprints because you're not running that fast. If you go uphill, if you take a spill, You're not gonna get hurt and you're not gonna break bones because you're not running that fast and you're running uphill and you're falling uphill. Right. Um, So, when you're doing like high intensity stuff where, you know, neuromuscular coordination is not at its best because you're exhausted. Yeah. If you're running on stairs, especially on like a a rotating staircase, if you miss one step, especially if you're a big, like 280 pound bodybuilder, you miss a step, you're breaking bones. Yeah. (laughs) Running uphill is. is, is something that's really safe and allows you to do this kind of 100% effort sure. with a low um, amount of risk for it. it well, and even hurt.
0: you have that, you have an elastic band, so I know. Yeah, resistance you got, bands. Was it was like yeah, Walmart or whatever. Time.
1: For, yeah, yeah, for outdoor stuff. We were absolutely. using them
0: a couple of weeks ago down to the beach. We went down to the beach and ran stairs, <laughs> but yeah. we were short sprints. We we're going to the top, doing some pressing and whatever, and then up, down, and um, Yeah, um that's a know, I, simple, right?
2: I neglected that. You're right. That's a, that's a, That's an unbelievable amount of resistance in all of these different ways. Yeah um, whether it's putting it under your feet or tying it around a tree or something like that. So yeah, yeah, there's no reason to miss stuff. So yeah, I mean, are you going to be getting the exact same workout that you would at a fully equipped gym? No, but I don't think that's the point. I mean, the point is that you can go away and you can do stuff and then you can go back into the gym a week or two weeks later and be like, Hey, I don't feel like I took two weeks off the gym. I feel pretty damn good.
1: And there, and there's more to that too. Uh, the statistics, I don't know. I'm off hand, but the amount of sun exposure we have nowadays compared to what we had before, yeah. the effects on the mitochondria your, your vitamin d yep. i don 't know the science behind it. All I know is we need a lot more sun, and it 's not we 're not just saying like get outside and get out of your house or don 't be in the gym or whatever there 's actually we keep talking about nutrition and supplements. Well, the sun is a big factor in in that role. You know what I mean The, the stuff yeah. we get from the sun is amazing. I mean, going outside for your workout, not only are you outside doing your thing it 's a little bit different, you know a little fresh. But you're getting powered by that sun. You know? Yeah,
2: it's a good point. Like We're talking about overall health and lifestyle. And I can't remember some of the research on sun specifically, but I know there was one that was looking at things like whirlpool whirlpools and, uh, and saunas and the benefits of those. But one of the benefits was that raising your skin temperature, and I can't remember how high, but the number was for 15 minutes had positive uh, psychological effects. So you would imagine the same thing is true of sun as well. Sure. I know there's some research that had to do with the sun and the amount of actual like sunlight hitting the retina so it was yep. registered. So for example, wearing shades outside might not make you as happy as taking the shades off cuz of the amount of sunlight coming in. Yep. There was no way to shade the sunlight before. So there's there's upregulating and mood benefits to being in the sun related to the sunlight itself the heating of the skin the sun going into the eyes and all those things are definitely yeah so i like for for people that are doing contest prep or doing any sort of prep and need to do cardio i'm like go to your cardio outside there's nothing that says you have to walk stairs in a gym or yeah whatever in a treadmill go outside you'll feel better
1: Props to the people who, could, who can do that, because I can. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I see it all the time, you know, guys slugging away at a slow pace for yeah. 60 minutes, and I'm just thinking, how do you stare at that wall the whole time? My ADHD would be flying off like, off the radar, yeah. man.
2: I never once looked forward to cardio, and I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of well, easily thousands <laughs> of hours of cardio I did. I never once said, I can't wait to do it. Every time, I didn't yeah. want to do it. Sure. But every time... You just do it. Well, I remember we used to do
0: hit training on the bikes in the good life there. I remember like that's a whole topic on its own. People don't do hit effectively, but it's you know it takes literally like seven minutes to have a effective hit training. Less than that, yeah. But with warm up and everything all done, right? Yeah. Yeah. So total work time. Like I say, you do like ninety seconds total work time, and you're screwed. Like
2: yeah. So we yeah talking about the hit there. Like hit stands for high intensity interval training. You can't do 20 to 30 minutes of hit. No. If you're doing 20 to 30 minutes, it's MIT. It's medium intensity <laughs> interval training. Nobody. So the example I always give is that if you took a world-class Olympic sprinter, gold medalist, yep. they run 200 meters in a little less than 20 seconds. I don't even know what the record is now. It's probably in 19, might even be slightly less. Even they are slowing down before the end of the race. So, nobody in the world can do 20 seconds of all out effort without a decrease in performance. So, my protocol for most people when they're doing high intensity neural training is to do 30 seconds as hard as they can, and then take 30 seconds of rest, and then repeat that for a total of four times. Sure. Okay? Most people be like, I do it for 30 minutes. Like, okay, well, think about this. if someone like the, the, the highest conditioned athlete in the world can't do it for 20 seconds without slowing down. Imagine you tell them to go 30 (laughs) seconds and then imagine you told him him or her actually to rest for 30 seconds and then do it three more times at absolute 100% effort. Yeah. Nobody can do it. Like, I mean, you can do it, but you're, you're slowing down throughout it and you're dragging your ass by the end of it. That's high intensity interval training. So when you're doing 20 or 30 minutes of it, you're just not doing high intensity. And it's only effective when you're really doing these maximum capacities of of what you're capable of doing. So um, yeah, I mean, you've got to, and then this is why I like that, the the hill sprints is because you can put this 100% effort and not worry about getting hurt when with the stairs or something like that, you got to hold back a little bit because you you know misstep and you're going to get hurt but that's what high intensity interval training yeah. is well,
0: i remember like i said years ago when we did that it it fucking kicked my ass it like, sucks oh yeah it sucks. we man. get on i do a two minute warm-up yeah. and then i used, i think i did like 12 seconds because i I'd never done it before <laughs> i did 12 seconds then like 48 seconds rest and by the time i got the first two done that 48 seconds wasn't enough rest i was screwed by the time i got two done and people are like, a friend even friends of mine over the years, they say, Oh, well, I do hit training for thirty minutes or twenty minutes." I'm like, "No, you don't. No. You have no idea what hit training is." <laughs> no, you like, do training. Yeah, my buddy <laughs> Russell,
2: <do> <laughs> fucked. In, he knows what hit training is, and fucked me up big time in the gym. Like, <laughs> you still think about yeah, it today? Yeah, I love it, that. Because years it, ago. Yeah, it should be yeah. unbelievably intense. Yeah, and uh, the research is showing like between one and two minutes of actual work is all you need. Yeah. Now, you know. The, the cadence is up to question, right? You can take Tabata. Tabata is 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, and between six and eight sets. And, and the guy that Tabata was actually doing the research on were like Olympic-level cyclists. Okay, and, they wasn't, and even they were struggling with the eight. Now, if you look at that, that's 20 seconds times eight. That was two minutes and 40 seconds. Um, 20, 20, 20. Did that math right? Yeah, two minutes and forty seconds. Um these are like the highest conditioned people in the world. And even they didn't start at eight sets. They started at, I think, six or seven, and then they worked their way up to eight eventually. So they're doing this in a couple of minutes. Two minutes and forty seconds plus uh um a minute and twenty seconds on top of that, they're done. Yeah. You're not doing 20 minutes of hit. (laughs) And once you're doing it at that low pace yeah. you're just losing the benefits so you may as well just be doing kind of steady state at that yeah, point
0: go for a walk in the sun
2: <laughs> yeah go right? for a walk in the sun <laughs> yeah. or or jog or something like that but sure. it is a specific kind of parameter yeah. and recommendation um, or protocol that if you're not at the highest intensity it's very like if you do four minutes of low intensity work it's not going to do anything yeah do four minutes of high intensity or really two minutes of high intensity in the four minute time frame that's when it's effective and it's not effective otherwise. Yeah, huge so. for fat loss. Yeah, it's great for fat loss. And, and one of the reasons is that it increases fat enzyme production. So fat enzymes actually use fat for fuel. Okay. And the more fat enzymes you have, the more fuel you'll burn from fat and less from carbohydrates. So this is something where HIT gets better over time. Oh. So the more hit that you do, the more fat enzymes you produce, which means the more fat you burn throughout the day, and that's a cumulative effect. The more fat enzymes you have, the more fat you burn. The more hit you do, the more fat, fat enzymes you get, amongst other things too. Sure. Um, so hits, um, it increases VO2 max, but e- even things like it, it increases uh, steady-state cardio performance, which is not what you would think. So you would think that doing hits really good for doing high-intensity, short-duration stuff, but it actually had a lot of carryover to doing... 50-minute runs was actually the specific comparison in one study where it was showing that a couple of minutes of HIT was equal to doing 50 minutes of steady-state cardio. Yeah,
0: wow. So,
2: yeah, HIT's kind of the king. The only limit is how much can you do. Yeah. Because it's so high intensity, maybe you can't do it every day. Um, maybe you can do it every day, but you can only do it four minutes a day. Whatever it is, there's just limitations to HIT. but hit's, HIT should be the king of your cardio.
1: Yeah. I'm a big advocate of it, like you said, uh, and I do believe it does translate because I stick to mainly – uh, hit type training and I never do long endurance type training. Then someone will oh, really? ask, like my last girlfriend asked me to go for a 10 K run one day. And I go, I don't know if I could run 10 K. Like, <laughs> I only I, sprint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do 30. I, is
2: it th- more yeah, than 30 seconds? Yeah. I do hundred, hundred <laughs> meters or hundred yeah. yards. How, fa- how far can I run in 30 seconds? Cause yeah. that's what I can do. And yeah, then yeah.
1: we ran 10 K. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I could do this shit. Yeah. I've never tried it, that's but obviously like it translates, right? Yeah. And the other part to that was you're talking about how it only takes a, a few minutes to get drained from, yep. from hit. And obviously it's the best bang for your buck. Like I, I can't stress enough how good it is, but I was humbled huge. I went and seen a strength conditioning coach in, in, uh, Sarnia at We Are Fitness and he had me doing airdyne bike in the infrared sauna Oh, and, wow. and his regimen okay. was five minutes, right? That like we're, oh, we're, yeah. we're less than five minutes in there. I'm like, okay, five minutes Let's fuck all. Yeah. That's going to be no problem. No, it's not. Oh, yeah. it, it was. I can't a imagine problem. doing it in
2: a sauna. I can't. Even, not sauna. It, it was, was a, it a problem. It yeah, was yeah. definitely yeah. a
1: problem. Yeah, I love it. The only thing I That's worried me. about that, and you might know more about, is the quarter, Like yeah, the one reason why. Here, yeah, it's hit me in the face yeah. too. He loves us all. Apparently, the one reason why I try to stay away from it once in a while. I just figure maybe there might be a, like a cortisol effect from it, like because yeah. it's so intense. Is that really? Even though I feel good the next day, should I be doing it again?
2: Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to cortisol, like we 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 tend to think of cortisol as being negative, but part of it's necessary, right? Like you, you need a cortisol res- response to to be catabolic, to break down muscle mass, so that you can actually build newer, stronger muscle fibers. Yeah. That that's your cortisol. What you don't want is cortisol to get out of control. Now, is cortisol concerned with a couple of minutes of high intensity ex- exercise? I don't think so. So I'll, I'll I'll kind of like even flip that the other way. People will say, well, don't do low intensity cardio. Don't go walk because you'll you'll tear down muscle mass. We're walking we're really well equipped for walking. This isn't high intensity. Yeah. It's not demanding on the system. It might use up energy, but it's not breaking down muscle. Why? Because it's within our capacity to do in our everyday lives. So when we actually break down muscle mass to build stronger fibers, that's why we go to the gym and lift heavy weights. So we have to do something that challenges our functional ability. Right. So you're used to doing this. Okay, that's easy to do, but if you do this with whatever, 70 pounds per hand, okay, that's challenging functional ability. The adaption is that we break down muscle, Well. The, the reaction is that we break down muscle. The adaption is we build a stronger muscle fiber. So when you're just walking or something like that, you don't have to worry about it. But even if we were doing something high intensity, yeah, it could be an issue, but we're talking about two minutes. Our bodies are really well equipped to be able to recover from things, given two things, time, so we actually allow enough rest, mm-hmm. and nutrition to fuel the, the recovery. I don't imagine, and I would be highly concerned if an athlete couldn't recover from two minutes of work. And I'm not being deflationary saying the two minutes is nothing. It's really hard work, but it's still two minutes. Right. We have to be capable of recovering from that. And if we're not, then we have issues with other things, like our rest and our nutrition. Right, there's okay.
1: probably other, other factors that you are involved there. Right. can't recover from there, the two right? minutes
2: of hard work. And it's not to say the two minutes isn't incredibly hard. It's to say it's two minutes. Yep. So um, I've heard somebody say before that we live very inactive lives and superimpose an hour of activity on top of that per day. And they're right. So the one hour, even if you train your butt off for an hour, yep. 23 hours of the day is likely sleeping, standing, and sitting. That's a lot of recovery time. So when somebody says like, like, Hey, you can't train seven days a week, you need recovery. Yeah. You're recovering for the 23 hours until the next time. There's nothing that says you need a full day of doing absolutely nothing. I think we'd be pretty poor survival organisms if we couldn't recover with three right. hours, if one hour is our maximum capacity for work. So it's not to say that we shouldn't be concerned about overtraining or that, um, which by the way, there's no actual laboratory testing where overtraining was witnessed to find that more training meant deconditioning. Sure. But you could theoretically have it where you, know, you haven't been resting and you're not eating enough, your nutrition's poor, that more training actually caused detraining. But even if we went for that... Um, there would be signs, and, and, and if you were doing that with small amounts of exercise, like an hour, even two hours a day, which you know, for Olympic athletes and professional athletes is, is normal, then you've got another problem. So I don't think you have to be concerned so much about, yeah. you certainly don't have to be concerned about walking, and um, you probably don't have to be concerned about two minutes of hit, but there, there is a limit. So you can't do two minutes of hit ten times a day. Right. Okay? There's a certain recovery capacity and a recovery time frame. And uh, you've just got to be within that and allow that to happen. And that's
1: all up to the individual, obviously, and how much they've been conditioned prior to that.
2: I sort of um, when it looks when we look at research, there's nothing that says that that uh, recovery takes more than about 72 hours. That's your research number. Now, mind you, you got to contextualize the research and say, okay, well, fine. They're just looking at leg extensions and looking at the vastus lateralis. Right. Okay, well, what happens if we do a big, huge leg day? And certainly recovery can be faster than others, but it's probably not a week, which is what the most common training protocol is. So Most people will train legs once a week, chest once a week, and whatever. Yeah. There's nothing in research that says that it takes that long. Yeah. So, but I do imagine, of course, that you can become better adapted to recovering with training as well.
0: I think one thing, just this, this is my bro science brain working, but like... Shoot if your two minutes of HIIT training is what you're blaming for your cortisol being too high, you're negating the whole, like, completely chronically stressed society we live in. Like, people are in stress for probably 16 hours of that day, and that's the stress that's gonna fuck you up, not the two hours, or the two minutes of cortisol release from the HIIT training that's beneficial for all these other lists of reasons. all right, well, you need to learn to like, let shit go, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, see the big picture is what you're saying. Yeah, you don't, like don't blame the good thing. Why don't you blame the rest of shit first and yeah. then keep doing the hit card? It, yeah. Like,
1: yeah. cause the three it, hours you spend yeah. in your bathroom crying about your girlfriend and yeah. banging some other dude. There's no benefit to that, right? <laughs> the two minutes well, never <laughs> happened, all right? It never <laughs> happened. <laughs> she didn't do it.
2: <laughs> there's, uh, there's, uh, there's, there's an old Canadian uh, researcher, his name is uh, Dr. Hans Selye, and he talked about um, GAS. It was General Adaptive Syndrome. So he, he kind of gave these, these analogies, like if you, if you were out in the sun and you had a certain amount of sun stress, then you're going to get a, a tan afterwards, but if you had too much stress, you're going to get a burn. Yeah. But he talked about things that had positive adaptions and negative adaptions, so like positive stress versus negative stress. So positive stress would be something like um, going to the gym and then you have a positive adaption. And then you have things that were negative, right? So, like alcoholism, for example, it's not like you got healthier to the alcohol, or you yeah. built up a resistance. To My it. liver could take you got that. Got more and more unhealthy, or drugs, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. So there's things that have these sort of positive and negative adaptions, but yeah. um, um, but even stress overall, like we're talking about everyday life stress versus gym stress versus whatever, the body doesn't differentiate. They're all stress. Yeah. And when you add all of them up together, you have a certain amount of stress. And what uh, what uh, Hanselia had said was that aging was the accumulation of negative stresses. That's essentially it. He said this was very famous of him. He said it leaves an indelible scar, this scar that can't be left. and that, as you count those scars up, that's what aging is, right? We can even go maybe a little bit more into that uh, with what we know about um, genetics and telomeres and stuff like that. That aging has to do with damaging of telomeres, right. and and this telomeres are this protection of your genetic code. And as telomeres shrink, then genetic code becomes more susceptible to damage, and that we can actually maybe tell them your length is a better measure of age than chronological age. Yes, is. sure. So yeah, stresses um, come from all places. And what you say is a good point that you have to account for the stress that you have, you know, in all of your other life outside of right. the gym. It all comes yeah. into
0: recovery for sure. Yeah, but if I'm cutting one does, thing, yeah. I'd rather not cut my gym time and cut out thinking about, you know, your girlfriend begging another dude for three hours and be like, mm-hmm. well, cool. that's not productive but I sure like going to the gym,
1: you know? So (laughs) I'm going to prioritize what I'm trying to manage, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, like, I'm not going to blame the good guy, but... I I like how you put that, uh, how it scars you for life and it just builds up. Because you look at... Real life situations, you know, you know, everyone knows that alcoholic that looks like he's eighty five, yeah, right, that's and he's exactly he's it, thirty. Right? I'm
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, or even people that when like post alcoholism, there's still something left. We, we we have to now. He may not have been a hundred percent right. We look at a lot of things and we seem to see see that there are recoveries for them. Sure, but even if his message was just that if you thought it left something there forever and maybe it does. So like if it's genetic damage, maybe that's something that doesn't recover. I'm not sure someone would be able to answer that better than me. But his, his point was that there's, there's negative things that happen. And when you add yeah. all of these things up, that is what aging is. And like you said, we have real world examples where you can look at someone, even if it's like post recovery you can be like, you can tell that person had some rough things. You've yeah. been through some right? shit. Yeah. yeah. You can yeah. say like, Hey, you could tell they suffer from something just, just on the skin tone itself or something like that. You may be able to tell alcoholism or, or even nutrition things or yeah. even just like a huge amount of stress on a person that didn't suffer from, from anything other than sure. your world stress, your family stress, um, relationship stress, and, uh, and work stress and that sort of stuff. Now, I guess there's one
0: other question uh, we've talked about a few times is the creatine. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to know your thoughts on that because it's a very uh. common thing in gym things. It's a pretty simple answer, I believe, probably. But what are your thoughts on creatine?
2: Yeah, creatine is probably the most tested supplement when it comes to, we'll say performance supplements. So sure. even though things like fish oil and, and well, at least fish oil anyway, might be more tested now, I'm not going to call it a performance supplement, even though there's indirect performance benefits. Yeah. Creatine as a performance supplement. So we were looking at like power output or something like that. Can you lift more weight? Can you move things faster? Can you do more work? Creatine is the most tested supplement. And it absolutely works in the majority of people. And when it doesn't work, there there may be reasons why. Um, there's just no. It's it's the easiest kind of like everybody should take creatine. That's that's training for strength. Yep. Um, this. Fly. That's killing me. <laughs> yeah, this, <I> kill. <laughs> it's rage time. <laughs> so. Uh, Anyway,
0: creatine's if beneficial, we, yeah.
2: Yeah, like everybody should be using it that's doing anything to do with strength. Okay. So it's just it's like as opposed to glutamine, glutamine Glutamine um for, for the amount that it's tested doesn't work a lot. Sure. And it's um I, I remember back in the day when I started training; those were like the two supplements: Creatine, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. to you get your glutamine. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean to be all healed yeah, up. All yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So even the stuff with glutamine, it was like, okay, yeah. it's supposed to be. I mean, number one, it's it's, it's the most abundant of the amino acids. So people yeah. are like, why would I take more if it's the most abundant? Yeah, <laughs> like shouldn't I take the ones that are rare? <laughs> because um, yeah,
0: bro, science two is better than one. Yeah, That's right. right.
2: Like just yeah. take more. I'm like, it's already there. I, so even with glutamine, like number one. Does glutamine work if you're, high, if you're already on a high protein intake diet? My thought is if, if it's the most abundant, then if I take more protein, I'm already getting more glutamine. So that, yeah. that might already be enough. Uh, number two, a lot of, the, prote- a lot of the, the research that they were doing was like intravenous on, on burn patients. So oh, it's like, yeah. yeah, you take a patient that's gone through massive trauma who's not probably eating anything right now, and you give them some sort of nutrition, are they going to respond? Are they going to heal? Are they going to, yeah, of course, right? But you right. probably could have done this with any amino acid and found similar results. So there, there's no comparison between glutamine and creatine. Creatine is in a league of its own in terms of yep. the testing and the results that you get. Glutamine's very hit and miss. Um, a lot of the effective research was on the specific cases of non-athletes. So, yeah, creatine, absolutely, it's a, it's a thumbs up, and it's, it's cheap as hell. Yeah. yeah, one of the
0: cheapest supplements you can buy. Yeah, the
2: only, tip, the, only, uh, the only tip for the creatine would be buy micronized creatine. All you do is take the exact same creatine and, and basically, like, shave it so it's smaller. Right. Which means that you have to digest less of it uh, because it's already broken down into smaller pieces, which means that you might not get some sort of, like, gas reflux or anything like that. Sure. But another thing with creatine as well, creatine monohydrate is 100% bioavailable. That means what you wow. take in, nothing's coming out the other end. That means you use it all. You can't improve on 100% bioavailability. So all this like buffered creatine and stuff like that. The funny thing is there's literally no research on it because every research, research scientist is like, it's already 100% bioavailable. What do you want me to test for? 110% bioavailability? Like literally, this yeah. is yeah. – this yeah. is that, that, that's bro
0: science. This isn't a bonus round, boys. We don't yeah, get there's no, yeah. yeah, guys, 100 is yeah. the, the best
2: yeah. you can get. The, But it's something that you like again back in the day when creatine was this massively new supplement, you guys like how do you load your creatine? Like, oh grape juice. Like, oh you can't use grape juice, it's got fructose (laughs) in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, everybody would talk about these things, and they obviously they didn't matter. But, uh, but on top of that, too, they're like, oh, yeah, the, what about the new buffered creatine and yeah. all this sort of stuff? Well, you can improve on that 100%. The only thing you would be able to do is take something that's a micronized creatine so it's a little bit easier on the digestion itself. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's 100% bioavailable, which means you use everything that goes in, which nice. means you can't get better than that. So $35 for a kilo of it or two kilos, yeah. whatever <laughs> cheap you're getting it, stick with that stuff. Don't buy the flavored, buffered, all that sort of stuff. Yeah.
0: And it mixes in creatine. pretty much anything.
2: Yeah, it, it tastes bad. Yeah. I'll, give you, yeah, I'll give you that. It not the best. It doesn't mix very well or anything like that, but, but it's, a, it's a fantastic supplement, and uh, it's cheap, right? Yeah. So it's kind of your two gold nice. metals there.
1: What do you recommend a day, dosage?
2: Uh, between 5 and 10 grams. So back in the day, everybody would load it to get there faster. Yeah. It's probably true. You can probably load it and get there faster. The thing is that once you reach peak concentration levels, it stays there for a really long time. Yeah. So it's not something you have to keep – like this really high dosage up. In fact, you can probably load with 10 grams and go down to two and a half and still maintain it. So, I mean, whether it's, fi- this stuff's so cheap, right? Yeah. I-, I tell most people, take five grams a day and just keep taking it. Take it for long periods of time. It's not something you have to cycle. It's-, it's just an amino acid. Yeah. Right? So back in the day, they thought that, uh, it was causing like, cre- uh, <laughs> kidney damage. It was a steroid. It was a steroid back yeah. in the day. Yo, you even, cycling like, creatine? Yeah, you cycling? <laughs> <laughs> but even things like, um, yeah. They thought it was causing kidney damage. Yeah. Right? So, like, part of the byproduct of creatine supplementation is a, it's a byproduct called creatinine. It's a, it's a waste product. So, generally speaking, when creatinine levels go up, it's because your kidneys aren't filtering it out. Right. Okay? So, usually what would happen is you have this byproduct is supposed to go through the kidneys and get filtered out. And if it's not, it stays in the bloodstream. And so, you're measuring it and going, holy crap, there's a lot of creatinine. Your kidneys aren't working very well. Well, creatinine was just a byproduct of creatine itself. So, you just had more creatine, creatinine. Right. But if you measured, what, you would, what you'd have to do specifically is look at a direct renal measure and look at creatinine clearance. Okay. So I, was, I don't care how much is in it. There's going to be more. I'm using creatine. I care that when it gets to the renal functioning plant that actually it gets removed. So you can look at creatinine clearance. That's what matters. But back in the day, they thought, hey, creatinine's high. This must be shutting down the kidneys. It just it wasn't true just higher levels but right. once it went through the filtration process all the creatinine was gone they're so creating safe in, in that respect too. your only real side effect is possible gas if you're using um something that's not micronized and dehydration sure so drink more water that's it which is already touched on it's
0: beautiful there you go. so to wrap things up last question we always get to now yeah can you give us the russell mclean big dick moment yeah. what's <laughs> something jumps out in your mind
2: <laughs> Uh, well, uh, for weightlifting, I think the, the, the lift I was proud of, most proud of, uh, was a 695 deadlift, maybe 240 pounds or so or something, but I never, I yeah. never did seven. I sure. got, I think I got hurt in around that time. And I, uh, I rode five plates a couple times. Nice. So those are my, those, those are, are my big ones. Yeah. I, I never, I never, I, I only ever did uh, bodybuilding, so I never competed in strength training, but it was always fun to train heavy. So Sorry, what remember about your bodybuilding shows
0: then? Was that ever like, this is like the proudest moment in like your fitness career or like did you well, we say the gym moments were kind of override yeah, that?
2: Uh, maybe. I, I guess, um, when I competed, it was for much different reasons than now. And honestly, like yeah. I had so much more fun training than I did. I hated competing. I hated a lot of things about it because They were the things that, like, I still like to diet and to train hard, but I didn't like like, the tan, I didn't like the shaving, I didn't like the posing, I didn't like being in front of people, and showing off the physique that way, it wasn't about that. So no, I wouldn't say a proudest moment was winning any show or anything yeah. like that. It was, it was the things that I accomplished in the gym yep. that were never recorded because we didn't walk around with cell phones yeah. at the time. So yeah. <laughs> I only have witnesses yeah. to say I did those lifts. That's kind of what I was alluding to. Cause yeah. I know from
0: years ago, that was, it was never something you ever talked about. And today that's huge in bodybuilding. It's like, all right, we're doing it for the show yeah. and not for the training. And it's no, yeah.
2: Yeah. Things are different in that respect there. Sure. Um, no, I really, really, really loved to train. I would yeah. have trained just as hard if there was no no shows. But the fact that there was a shows didn't train the didn't change the training at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I wouldn't at all put that in. The, now, what about in
0: a business aspect? Do you have something? Uh, yeah. Well, you're particularly I, I some proud of.
2: Yeah. Sure. Uh, some people may or may not know, but i am actually formally trained as a, as an accountant. I have my uh, my CPA, so I'm a chartered professional accountant. I just uh, I just work in this industry because this is what I love to do. Yeah. Nice. Good yeah. for you, man. Thank you.
1: Good. good for you yeah. and you're obviously uh you're good at what you do i, yeah. I love it oh yeah i love it
2: <laughs> we I, could go remember, hours yeah. more i remember
0: when hours you hours took by. the jump and you know you yeah. maybe a little nervous but it's like nah man you're 100 percent successful and i'm like, yeah. sure you knew that but it's like if anybody's gonna didn't succeed know, in it, this it's, it's
2: always scary for sure scary.
0: but like if anybody's gonna do it as if this conversation didn't point out like you're the guy man like you as i've told everybody yeah. over the years was like you're hands down the most intelligent Person, it's like in this aspect, but probably just in general. Like, you're you're a bit of a phenomenon. So, Thanks. I appreciate you coming down, man. It's awesome. Thanks. So Honestly,
2: it's people like you and people that I knew when uh, when I was doing this that my whole business operates on. Like, I virtually never advertising. Mean, yeah. I put up my first one ever in three and a half years or so in this last week. Yeah. Uh, but everybody that I coach with is because somebody like you said. he yeah. Knows what he's talking about. Well, I, work, I
0: worked with you once upon a time. I yeah. did some powerlifting with you, and I did yeah. some diet back when we were in uh, Kitchener, and. Nothing but, like I said, I, I learned a shitload back then. And like I yeah. said, even with the cardio, it still sticks with me today. So it's I appreciate really, it. yeah, That's, it's awesome, man. Thank you. Well, but we're uh, going to have
1: to get you back again because oh, I yeah. feel like I could have picked your brain so much. I've learned so much shit today. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, yeah. I'm smart. Oh, I'm do you want to do one
2: more? Um, eating right for your type.
1: Oh, yeah, the blood type dieting. The
2: blood type dieting. This is, we'll end on this here. Okay, sure. so the blood type dieting was um, – it was a book. I can't even. The guy's last name is like D A M A O, Dam Diamo or something like that. And he started this Eat Right for Your Type. And the, the whole the whole thought was that your blood types evolved over time as our conditions changed. So yeah. if you were pre-civilization and you didn't eat any wheat or meat or um, bread or anything like that, you had a certain blood type. And then as things progressed, you got these these different blood types. And he said that the blood types were were. They would tell you the foods that you could digest the best. He even went so far as like, you know, you should have certain exercise prescriptions. But there's, there's a lot of issues with this. Number one, the, even his thesis itself that your blood type had some sort of effect on digestion is completely unfounded. Even if you search his name today, there's nothing that says that he ever did any research on it, nor did anybody else ever. Oh. There's literally none. There's no published data on this at all. So he literally just, it sounds really good. And even he might even be able to say like, yeah, like our blood types changed over time and therefore our blood type might be related, but there's still no data for that. At best you could say, well, we just haven't studied it, but we kind of have indirectly and I'll jump to that. But number two, even the blood types he said were first, those, those statements are contentious. So he said that type O was first. Therefore this is going to be the most kind of like paleolithic diet. well, it might actually be type A that was first. So right off the bat, you have to say, do we have the right order of things? And even if we have the right order, do we even understand the ancestral diet? So how do you know what they ate at that time? Was it different if you lived in sub-Saharan Africa or if you lived in Scandinavia? Yeah. It's gonna be a lot different, right? Even that's, that's a major issue with just with ancestral dieting um, itself and these sort of evolutionary diets. Well, where did you live in the world? Like it, it really mattered because you evolved on different things depending where you were. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the, the blood types itself, the order could be completely wrong, but there was two studies, uh, recently done. One was in 2013, one was in 2014. I, I have the, the studies on my phone and I hate when somebody says it oh, was study was done. Like yeah. tell me about the study.
1: He proved it to me. Yeah. Just yeah, I, it I showed folks. it to him. I'll give you guys the links <laughs> if you we, want to post, post it that in, stuff. The, in the show notes. Yeah. Sure. And I want yeah. that
2: done because it's important because all too often we hear a study and f- the person that's saying it probably didn't read the study, a person that, talked to them, probably told them there was a study, and that, they probably That they didn't read else. either, yeah. <laughs> so two studies, and they were looking at, um, at um, basically taking the, these, these, these prescriptions based on the book and then giving them to people and then scrambling the people that they were um, supposed to be assigned to. So like whatever, the type AB person now has the type O diet and whatever. And uh, firstly, all the diets worked, but secondly, it had no relationship at all to blood type. So they basically found that these are just good diets and that you can switch them around. And, sure. Uh, and there was, another diet, there was another study in 2014. It did something slightly differently. But nonetheless, they were both showing that there was no effect based on blood type. Okay? Uh, th- I, another issue is that it, let's just say that the blood type says that you're supposed to eat meat and you're a vegetarian. Like, you already have a problem there. Right. So, uh, so all in all, yeah, there's, there's no real data for it. In the studies that we do have, it didn't matter what blood type you were for stuff. So uh, all in all, it's it's a little bit gimmicky. It sounds like a good idea, but in real-world practice, there's no science to back it up.
1: Well, I'm going to have to be honest. The only research I did on it, I I got this hardcover book, (laughs) Eat Right for Your Blood Type.
2: Yeah, that was I right.
1: opened it to page O because I'm an O negative. <laughs> yeah, I read it. I, I looked yeah. at the foods like the what you should uh, consume and what yeah. you should avoid. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I eat, if I eat too much of this, I feel shitty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but if I eat lots of beef, I I feel like I make good gains. Yeah. Gains. But you know what? I never looked at any other <laughs> blood type. So you might <laughs> be right that my homework for tonight is I'm gonna follow the A, the AB, and just see if <laughs> this is all. Well, bullshit. you know what would
2: have been fun if you really wanted to test this. Now you would need a lot of people to get kind of good results but this is how you would do it i would take each of those diets and give you each one and not tell you which one and then you tell me which one you thought was best right right and then do that over a lot of people because then you're gonna actually find out okay well how did you actually feel on the diets right now there might still be placebo but at least i'm not influencing you now if you wanted to get really technical it would be double blind so yeah a double blind means you don't know what you're getting and i don't know what i'm giving you so if i told you the diet that would only be single blind you want a real science, this is how science works, right? So science says, okay, double-blind, we're going to get rid of all the bias, right? So I'm going to give you a diet, but I don't know yeah. what diet's ABC, whatever, well, not ABC, but yeah. like AB yeah. or negative oh, whatever, or A, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and you don't know which one you're getting, okay? And then you tell me how you felt, and I'll record it, and then somebody will eventually review this data, and let's do this a thousand times. And let's see if there's actually some sort of relationship, right? And then what's the criteria? Like, is it is it was your digestion good? Did your strength go up? How long do we do each one of these diets for? That's how you build real research. But that would be interesting because we would see even even if it was just a one time thing. Like, if I give you all these diets one time, can you tell me? And you might come back. oh yeah, be, I'd be because, willing to do this. This diet's the <laughs> best. I'll be like, that's a B, man, <laughs> yeah, or a B yeah, negative. Like, yeah. so yeah, that's um that, that's my vegetarian. thought on that. It's dude. sure most fad diets are. are I don't know what percentage wrong, but quite a bit. Yeah. Right? So they might work because they're based on certain principles, like maybe they're hy- hypocaloric, maybe they're high protein, maybe they're high vegetable. But once it has a name, I'm very skeptical of like the grain diet or yeah. the keto diet or any of these sorts of things. They all have certain principles, but that's not what dieting is about. Um, They'll eat right for your type. It sounds brilliant, but it's probably just based on decent dieting principles that are non differentiable based on your blood type itself. So the thesis of the book is actually...
1: Well, like in none of the consume call and there wasn't, Potato chips. There wasn't talk <laughs> about. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what I mean. Yeah. So right there, what, what you're blood already
2: type, uh, eats a lot of candy. <laughs> yeah. You're already winning right yeah, there. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. exactly There's no a...
1: shit on the list. Yeah, okay. Right. So yeah. Yeah. all right, already winning. Not eating shit. There you all go. Right, yeah. This blood type is perfect. Yeah. I feel great. I'm that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I hate. Yeah. I got fooled. <laughs> well, as That's they say, right. the,
0: the best diet is the one you follow. Or the, you know, it's the best. train What's the best exercise? What's the one you're gonna do? Yeah. And whatever. Right. So I. I Whatever. He Whatever says, works. It down.
2: Whatever works. The best diet in the world is as useless as the paper you write it on if yeah. you can't follow. it. Sure. Right. And the yeah. best diet is the one you follow. Sure.
0: Right. Unless it's potato chips. <laughs> this is why I don't <laughs> but, diet. Right. So is there? Any, I just like to, uh, anything you want to plug, uh, like your website. Yeah, sure. Your sum fitness everything. Yeah, yeah. You know?
2: So uh, the website's uh, sumfitness.com. That's S-U-M fitness.com. Uh, my Instagram is Russell at sumfitness. And uh, I post daily information on there. Um, I mostly post information. Um, you can contact me for any details on coaching. Um, most of the people that I work with are just really hardworking people. But uh, but my specialty really is contest prep. Sure. I have multiple uh, IFBB pros and um, um, you know 17 years or so experience doing this. Yeah. So anybody can contact me uh, on those channels and uh, just follow me if you like to get good information as well.
0: Yeah no nice. that's good like I said I appreciate you coming down man I, I didn't appreciate realize you, even how far the drive was but yeah. uh, it was far yeah but I, I'm, yeah. I'm
2: glad this is very this is fun it's I awesome I love I love uh I'd love, love to talk about this whole video it just. Well, that like, training session earlier is going to fucking kill me tomorrow, <laughs> so it was awesome.
1: Yeah, it was I was so, afraid we weren't going to have enough shit to talk about after we talked nah, at the man. gym, yeah. we <laughs> talked at dinner. We're like, holy, this is good stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I'm always afraid of that. Are we going to yeah. get the good stuff out of the way before we even get to yep. the podcast? But man, you're like, you're you're full of it. You're All full right. of knowledge, <laughs> man. <laughs> I, uh,
2: I wanted to, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bad sometimes at ranting, so I was really excited to do this because yeah, you guys asked me to come here and rant. Sure, I could have went on so many. Oh different yeah, I've seen that during
1: the speed and round. I'm like, I yeah. got. Like, I, I don't gotta. think he understands <laughs> the speed round.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you guys have to be really explicit. Be like yeah. speed round means uh, five seconds or less. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. totally, yeah. totally <laughs> Red, blue, <laughs> green, okay. go. <laughs> okay,
1: but, but I
0: liked it. But but I liked time. it. Thank it was educational, you. right? Yeah. It's all good. No, that's great. So as always, I want to thank Thomas or thank Thomas for helping us get this and post it and everything and market full pop check out the full pop media and uh and your girl
1: too helping us video oh this, yeah geez, all this. So huge help my, yeah.
2: yeah help behind the scenes the one behind the camera all the time pretty sure one of the cameras died here and she was on top of it and replaced it with i that. didn't even notice myself oh yeah she's sneaky yeah, yeah. Sneaky. She's, sne- she's sneaky sometimes but in the best way possible so the That's thanks beautiful. to laura yeah. all the time for for always uh helping out with this stuff
0: yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, As always, uh, yeah. Book an appointment, donate some blood, and uh, save a life. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well,
1: traditional, f- <laughs> traditional style. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>